Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We have a lot to catch up on. I'm going to say this about Elden Ring real quick. Uh, and I, we have a segment on Elden Ring at the end of the episode. <laughs> We're going to get to it. But I'm just going to say, you know we like a game when it supersedes giant Pokemon news. <laughs> like, we had, we had planned yes. to, to talk yes. about the, the like, 8 a.m. new Pokemon drop last week. And we, like, literally had no energy left. Because all we could do is gush about Elden Ring. Thanks to Chris Plant for joining us for that. That was a lot of fun. That was last week's episode, if you missed it. And I just want to say that off the bat, because I feel like I saw a lot of comments in the Discord like, oh, I can't wait for their take on the new Pokemon. There's just zero yeah. response from us. So yeah. we're back, baby. We're back on our brand. Yeah, El- Elden Ring. Uh, oof, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you said it. We're, we're going to talk about it later again. Uh, just a little check in. But I, I mean, we have to talk about the Pokemon stuff because it's like, yes. wa- it's wild that this is happening. It's wild yeah. that this exists i it has been over a week and i am not any less shocked that this game is coming (laughs) that it exists essentially everything about it is like fascinating to me the art style changed the trailer for it was like absolutely bananas like it was just so weird okay so a catch-up there was a pokemon event essentially the way i described it to you essentially was like you're on the chain lift of a roller coaster and then it, (laughs) it ends with this reveal you know, because it's like all stuff you kind of expect. It's like, OK, here's updates on all the mobile games. Here's, you know, a new character we're adding to Pokemon Unite. Uh, they're doing like a, a, an update patch for Arceus. It's like, OK, that's the exciting thing, right? Is like the update for Arceus. And they're like adding new like endgame stuff and patches and whatever. No, 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 no. Dear listener, dear Steven, dear everyone on planet Earth. The the drop was the announcement of Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet, two games coming in, quote, late 2022, that look almost exactly like the thing you and I, like, theorized might be coming in, like, 2025 to 2027. Yeah. But no, no, dear listener, they're coming this year, hypothetically. They could get pushed. Everything is capable of being pushed. But the Pokemon Company is currently on track as far as their announcement is concerned to release it this year. As as far as we know, these games look to me like Pokemon Arceus, but you run in between all of the towns as you make your way through gym battles and like collect badges. It looks to me like it is taking the open world idea of Arceus and just throwing the like classic Pokemon storyline and like I would say like gameplay loop into that. And that is fascinating. It's fascinating that that exists. It's fascinating that was the direction they chose to go in. And it's also, I think, almost frightening that it's coming out this year. We don't know anything behind the scenes, but just based on the lead up to Arceus and how it came out, like, you know, it came out like January 5th in the afternoon. It was yeah. like titled <laughs> like a spinoff. Uh, clearly <laughs> wasn't given like a ton of time or resources. And it's this wild experiment that that we think really paid off i think like despite any like caveats with that game the core loop and the core uh design of like running around the wild and throwing pokeballs to catch pokemon like that clearly works yes regardless of how much the other stuff works for you or not like the the central design works and it's worth saying like it's not completely clear if like all of that is in scarlet and violet like i i would guess it feels a little bit more like in evolution of the wild area from Sword and Shield. It looks like a more like glossy follow-up to the Sword and Shield style of Pokemon game. Where like, I wonder if the wild area is less like 
a Jackson Pollock painting and more like actually planned out, not just like seasons and times of day changing as you walk around and like <laughs> Grookey and Onyx looking at each other. I, it looks like what we saw in the trailer was like Pokemon in the wild walking around visibly. So whether or not you can like physically throw the Pokeball or whether or not it's like more of a traditional system, I can kind of go either way with that. I'm, I'm just excited to see what it is. I'm excited to see like a new generation as well. Because I think the idea that like Arceus comes out is this experiment and then is immediately applied to the next game that year is yeah. is like almost scary whereas like <laughs> i wonder if we're gonna see like bits and like i wonder if the plan was like here's one game in 2022 in january 5th in the mid-afternoon that is like a big experiment and here is like sort of the step in that direction but is more glued to what we expect mm. that's an interesting take i think i think that you might be more on the money i i don't want to blow up his spot but uh we we did briefly talk with chris about this after we finished recording uh when we were like oh my god we didn't talk about any of the stuff we meant to talk about other than elden ring um (laughs) he had an interesting take on this which was it's possible that like they started working on the engine for this game and then because of covid delays and things like that they might have needed to push this later into 2022 and then tried to like get the b team essentially to make a kind of smaller scope game which ended up being Arceus in the same engine just so they could have something to release in 2021 and then of course that maybe didn't work out either so for some reason they're both coming out this year I think that's an interesting take I think you might I think you might be right here it's worth mentioning this is being advertised for the first time sword and shield obviously but also Arceus a little less obviously were not advertised as open world games but this is a game that they are specifically saying is an open world video game yeah um various towns blend seamlessly into the wilderness with no borders is what it says on the website and i think you i think you're closer to the truth here about it maybe just being the wild area applied to all of it which is kind of what everybody thought was going to happen after sword and shield yeah that that was the natural progression Arceus was not the natural progression Arceus was like a step past the natural progression in a way yeah um so i could see situations where people because i think rcs is like pretty widely loved by almost everyone i i am wondering if people will see this as a step backwards but honestly it looks so shocking like they changed the art style in a pretty dramatic way the the world looks like pretty lush and vibrant and cool uh there's a lot of hypothesis that it's based on spain which is like rad oh yeah i just i just think it looks incredible yeah i'm really excited for it one of my questions that i've seen kind of posited around the internet is like is this kind of a soft soft reboot essentially like every once in a while they do these kind of like soft reboots of this franchise um i would say like x and y was one of them in a way yeah yeah i think this kind of seems like it might be another one because x and y was kind of a step away from like the red and blue color scheme situation and this is like close but no cigar uh in a way like the scarlet and violet not being like totally just red and blue all over again is kind of interesting i'm fascinated by this uh i i I think it's it's terrifying to know that this is going to come out at the end of the year you know what i mean like it's going to be wild if this drops like in december and then we yeah. have to factor it into Goaty or something. I'll say it. I'm a pretty easy Pokemon fan. Like I feel like I've I've generally liked all yeah. of them to varying degrees. Like yeah, me too. There are some that like I think are like okay, this is a masterpiece, and then there are some where I'm like, this is fun, but whatever. Like yeah. as time passes, the remakes of fourth gen, like they're they're fun. Like I've enjoyed them, but I don't yeah. really even doing my Nuzlocke. I haven't felt the pull to like go back as often as I would have hoped. Yeah, I agree. So I think that like to me that remake 
feels like okay it's still another pokemon game it's still fun but like even the sort of nostalgia well has dried up in some ways like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are what are sort of the two steps forward yeah so i like the idea that like there is a game that is potentially more in the realm of what we know and expect but is like Again, kind of a soft reboot of like, okay, the next era of Pokemon starts here. Right. And maybe we'll see the follow-up to that. Like, And this is all guesses. Like, This could all be wrong. But if Scarlet and Violet is more of like a wild area type game, maybe we can see like a combination of the two after. Or maybe Arceus is just like the beginning of the Legends side track where like all those games are more about like yeah. the wilderness. And then these games are maybe more about like the, the gyms and the story and the multiplayer aspect of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Game Freak is a big enough company that I wouldn't be surprised if they had three teams working on games. Like right. one is making the kind of like remakes, top down classic looking games like Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. And then you have a team working on the Legends side of things and then a team working on like the mainline next gen I don't mean like next generation of consoles. I mean like next generation of Pokemon yeah. games. You know, this is Gen Nine technically. It does look like a step up graphically, though. Like it's not, it's nothing like amazing, and we're seeing like very like early footage, but it definitely was like the the way the character models look and the environments look better than Sword and Shield did. Yeah, I do think I think they're using the same like the same assets for Pokemon, like the actual like character models of the Pokemon themselves. I think they've been using the same ones since like Sword and Shield. Maybe they're sprucing them up or whatever, but yeah, they look very similar but the like art direction of the world and the people within it really looks like really a step up over sword and shield which i'm very excited about it just looks more dense i think yeah. that's kind of the thing that i i'm really like latching on to with this is it just looks more dense than sword and shield did which like i don't i don't think it felt empty because i thought the art direction in that game was pretty strong i mean like they really evoked the kind of like you know scotland wales england side of things yes. with that game and I, I thought it worked really well but this just looks very lush it looks like it's got a lot of like vegetation and there's a lot of detail uh rendered in in these environments i I don't know i'm stoked about it and these starters are like wild i didn't really like them when i first saw them like the first reveal i was like oh my god really but uh now i'm like absolutely in love with them so it was love at first sight for me with with fue coco yeah yeah crocodile yeah who looks like a they're called the fire croc pokemon uh they look like a pepper it seems like yeah the vibe maybe even a stuffed pepper but i i've seen some people uh say that it's possible that the face thing is kind of like a like a skull and that they might turn into a fire ghost evolution oh, which is fun i would love that i would you know love I that love too fire ghost yeah i big fan uh especially after typhlosion in uh Arceus, which is cool uh sprigatito who is the uh like grass type cat uh who just looks like happy just like a very yeah. happy kind of a, kind of a neopet vibe which i mean is a compliment kind of a neopet vibe also like really eliciting like yolo 420 smoke weed every day <laughs> uh <laughs> There's like a marijuana leaf on its face. Uh, So that's fun. We'll see what they evolve into. (laughs) They just don't evolve. And I'm good, man. I'm (laughs) I'm fucking sick, actually. I would would love if a starter was like, you know what? We always fuck up the design by the third stage anyway. I'm just going to stay as a cat. Whatever. (laughs) That's always the fear is like, what are these things going to turn into? Like, which of these is just going to become Russell Crowe, like as a human? You know, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i i have a feeling that the duck is gonna have the sickest final form every now and then there's a starter 
whose final evolution is like in Smash Greninja mm-hmm, level mm-hmm. fame. And I've seen this a lot too. The duck seems to be evoking a Don Quixote type energy. Yeah. And if they follow that up, I think that could be a really cool Pokemon, like a Sir Fetched style Pokemon. I was 100% on team. This duck has a Pompadour, and I thought that it was going to be called Pompa Duck. But. <laughs> I like the idea that it's kind of a Don Quixote vibe. I think that would be fun. <laughs> Amazing. I feel like Pompa Duck is who you find on Route 3. Not quite a starter. You know, just sort of like, oh, God, I ran into this one again. They'd be my favorite, though. I do love finding out, like, who is the Bidoof of this generation? Like, who's the, like, <laughs> shitty rat that we find everywhere? It's interesting uh, that a lot of, all actually all outside of the starters, all of the Pokemon we've seen are returning Pokemon. There's no there's no new stuff yet. And I'm, I'm curious to see how many, like, new creatures they add to this one or if it's just going to be, like... I don't even what what is this region called? Have they said? I don't think they have like, you know, whatever, whatever regional variant of the Pokemon we already know. We'll see here like uh, coughing with top hats. You know, I do think since X and Y, the new Pokemon designs have been like pretty stellar, honestly, Mm -hmm. like actually they've always been like, I feel like it's always fun to see who the new Pokemon are. There's like variations on how exciting they are, but I do prefer the generations and it's mostly, mostly X and Y and on that, like incorporate the older ones too. And then eventually with sun and moon, they start doing the variations on older ones, which I love. I love like the regional change up to Pokemon. Big fan. Alolan Executor. Yeah, I'm hoping to, and this is a common hope as well, that there's a new Eevee. We haven't had a new Eevee since X and Y. Ooh. It's been 10 years, roughly. Nine years. Wild. Yeah. What do you want? We, we've we discussed this before. Oh, yeah, we I, did talk I'm, about this. I'm going to stand by a ghost. I think a ghost Eevee would be really cool. Mm. I think a bug Eevee would be fun, but that's very much just me. There's so many, like pretty grounded types that haven't been covered like a rock eevee or a steel eevee i feel like it'd be fun as well you know be a really boring but fun addition would be a normal type eevee evolution that just evolves if you like level it up enough yeah just like a larger eevee it just like hits level 100 yeah and it's just gigantamax eevee it's just like eevee with like small bags under their eyes (laughs) a beret It's like Evie trying to avoid the paparazzi, like, you know, sunglasses. <laughs> I, l- I love that the character designs look like huge dweebs. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- they look really silly. I don't know. I'm I'm stoked about this. Uh, I, I'm more excited to find out more information. I feel like we won't know until probably the summer. That's I thing. imagine this will be like an E3 thing. My big question has been, is Breath of the Wild 2 going to make this year? Because this this year seems stacked for Nintendo like really wild if I had to guess I feel like if this doesn't get pushed like if if the new Pokemon comes out in the holiday season I would be very pleasantly surprised if they also released Breath of the Wild 2 because those are two pretty big releases for Nintendo yeah so you know I wouldn't I want to say it now here's my bet I'm gonna bet that Scarlet Violet end of the year and then Breath of the Wild 2 revealed this year. Like we get a release date this year, but we don't get it until like March of next year. Mm. If they want to release it in March again, because that's when Breath of the Wild 1 came out. Yeah. Um, I think next year overall. 
Yeah, I, I feel like that's because uh, I'm just looking at this list of stuff that is like confirmed slash unconfirmed to come out on Switch this year. Uh, some of it actually some of it has like tentative dates. Some of it doesn't. But like Bayonetta 3, people still think is going to come out this year. Uh, Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope, people think is going to come out this year. Uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet now as well. Splatoon 3, Breath of the Wild 2 and Xenoblade Chronicles 3 are all games that are like supposed to hypothetically come out at some point this year on the Switch as like first party releases. That's a huge year. That's like yeah. a wild year for software for Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and I could see them doing that. We've talked about this on the show. I've talked about it a lot in the discord, but like I could see them doing that just like proving to investors that like this year proves that the switch doesn't need to be upgraded, you know, so kind of like quelling a lot of like investor concerns and uh, just like people online, things like that. Like, oh, yeah, look at how great the software can be. And then next year you release the switch too. Yeah. It's like, with, oh, yeah, we've proven yeah. that the switch doesn't need to be upgraded, <laughs> but here it is anyway. Um, right. Very Nintendo move. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be cool. I'd be into that. I'm I am finally in the headspace where I maybe want an upgrade to Switch. I think it's because now I have a new TV and I'm playing my PS5 with like HDR and 4K. And then <laughs> so I finally know like what those terms even mean. Yeah. I've been using a used plasma screen TV from 2014 up until last week. So I it really feels like allegory of the cave territory. I'm like, what, what was I doing? Yeah. So now when I go back to Switch, I'm like, what is this bullshit? Like, why am I, why am I putting, it's not that bad, but like, it is jarring to go from Elden Ring to Triangle Strategy on the full screen and be like, mm, huh. I'm sure. Okay. Beautiful art direction and Triangle Strategy, but you know, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's obviously a different experience. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see if another Switch comes down the line, but anyway, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are coming at some point in late 2022, apparently. Everything can be pushed, but we'll find out. I'm I'm excited. I'm really excited, too. I think it's going to be a big year for just everything. I mean, again, like <laughs> Elden Ring came out in, in February, so we're fucked. Like, this is it. Yeah, this is, this is everything. My game of the year list currently, it's it's the first <laughs> week of March, has eight games on it yeah. already. Uh, yeah, which you, is, like this time last year, it was like Fantasian and like going outside. Like, those are our <laughs> candidates. <laughs> What's goatee for you out of those two? Errands. <laughs> my my notes app to do list. Seeing a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Fantasian was, and that's the thing. It's like we're going to talk about Triangle Strategy later. I feel like Triangle Strategy is like the perfect this time of year game. This should have been that game's like moment in the sun. Yeah. And Elden Ring is like, what if I had the spotlight? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. There's but, there's too much stuff already yeah. on, on this list. Uh, I, I'll say I'll just say what's on this contention list already because yeah, I mean not? it's worth highlighting just because it's wild. It's worth noting. I'm like kind of uh juice in the stats a little bit on some of these that are like late 2021 or yeah. whatever but so far on this list we have horizon forbidden west we have uh legends arceus wordle i'm counting as a 2022 game because that was when it like really popped off and then got yeah. bought by the new york times nobody saves the world which came out like the first week of the year uh deedlet and wonder labyrinth getting re-released on yeah. switch was a big deal super auto pets which i'm going to talk about later uh is still technically in beta uh and is starting to pop off in a big way this year now that it got re-released on mobile and stuff and then Elden Ring, uh, along with Vampire Survivors, which got released in like the last week of December. I would guess based on the release schedule of this year, it's going to be harder to like include the I have to make a case for this games. Oh, yeah, I agree. But I, it, it's it's worth putting them on at this stage just to consider everything. Yeah, you know? and, and totally. Like a lot of those games we really love, like 
to be clear, every game I've mentioned, especially Triangle Strategy, which I fucking adore, and you'll hear about it in a moment. We love all these games. Elden Ring is just fucked up. It's like very hard to have a video game podcast that wasn't solely or isn't solely by Elden Ring when Elden Ring is in its like second week of existence. Yeah. I didn't even uh, mention Triangle Strategy. I forgot to include that on this list. That's oh, yes. uh, now nine games out of ten that came We're out this there. year that uh, I'm into. I could put Puzzle Quest 3 on here, but that game is bad, so I won't. It's number 10. It's, uh, n- it's number 10 by default, yeah. Um, Actually, no, I'm going to put errands again because I'm always running errands. <laughs> <laughs> my game of the year is Fikoko. Yeah, the I understand that. Croc. Yeah, my, my my move whenever I'm making this list, because I, I keep like an updated list of like contenders for game of the year uh, over time. Um, and my move is like, if we had to record right now, what would what the would list be? be? Yeah. And uh, right now that involves making a lot of cases for 2021 games. But it, it, it was fun to keep a list year round. I mean, we, we've been doing that at least since 2019. But um, keeping the list year round for like last year, especially was so weird because it was like 10 games, like roughly 10 games for <laughs> the first 70 percent of the year. And then the fall yeah. came and it was like, poof, like it's like a faucet of stuff and it completely changed everything. Yeah, I have my list from July, the end of July or sorry, the end of June, because I was like, all right, six months in, what's the list? And then I wanted to compare that against the list uh, at the end of the year. But anyway, but that was a really I'll fun episode. Uh, it was still like a really fun season uh this will be a very different energy come goatee in <laughs> in 2022 i think so too we got some time though uh anyway that's games uh do you want to take a break and then come back and talk about even more of them i would love to goodbye okay bye-bye brendan the day is here i finally we finally have triangle strategy i feel like whenever i say it out loud i still say project in like parentheses mm, in my yeah. head and I, i'm always like triangle strategy <laughs> like I just, <laughs> I just stop myself you've been referring um, uh, to it in our text back and forth as just triangles for yeah, like months i, I just at this call point. it triangles i'm just baffled the game isn't called the scales of conviction because it's like it's right there oh god that's a good name actually you're right it, and it literally is like the phoenix right objection moment of the game where sarah Noah is like i guess we have to consult the scales of conviction and everyone's like the scales of conviction I'm like what where did the triangles come in just because there's three countries okay Ugh. anyway it is out i have been playing it not as much as i would have liked to but i will say this about triangle strategy the fact that i'm playing it at all when elden ring is out in its first week is a huge testament to the game. It's a great point. Uh, and it's a game that is very hard to put down. So we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Um, the demo, so there are two demos. There was one demo that came out last year that was like, hey, we're working on this. Here's like a sample of what you can expect. Uh, we're very open for feedback. Let us know what you think. We're really excited about this. That was a really cool way to release a demo. It was like, yeah, here's what we're working on. What do you think? And then there was another demo released uh, last month or two months ago that was essentially just the first three chapters of the actual game. So like the Dragon Quest Eleven demo, which has become the gold standard of Square mm. demos, it is just here's the game as it is when you buy it for X amount of time. That time can really vary. If you like mainline the first three chapters and don't do anything extra, it's probably like five or six hours. I had like 10. 
I, I really did everything. In yeah, that, in that you, demo. you played it until it was done. I did everything. And when you buy the full game, the game is like, do you want to load your demo save data? And it just carries you right in. So you mm. start off like right where you left off. In case you're worried, this is a FF7 remake situation where you have to like go on the dark web to find your <laughs> save data and then transfer it over for intergrade. No, no, no. They figured it out. This is very easy. So I'm like, I actually, it, it was kind of surreal. I just got to the part of the game that the very first demo starts you off in oh wow that's interesting because the very first demo like throws you in the middle which was kind of a smart decision where it's like here is what the game is going to feel like when you kind of have all the tools available like here are the characters they're leveled up um you're not like learning how to attack we're kind of throwing you right in (laughs) so i'm there and it's pretty similar i feel like they probably tweaked some of the characters like anna for example feels she's incredible she's the spy we love anna yes she can go twice so okay and she has an ability that she throws a smoke bomb down and is just invisible no one can target her I believe, I remember vaguely in the original demo, she just like turned invisible when it was, her, her turn was over. Yes. Here, it's like you actually have to take an action to do that. Oh, so it's really? like, okay. she's a little bit less. They have nerfed Anna. Yeah, they have nerfed Anna, but she's still <laughs> incredible. She's like easily my best unit. Her and the Ice Mage. Oh, yeah. But I'm really having a great time. So just to kind of refresh what this game is, we talked about it again when the demo came out. Um, and that's largely like, if you want like a first impressions, like what is this game? that conversation from a couple weeks ago is probably the best place to listen to it but just to go over it again triangle strategy triangles scales of a conviction um (laughs) is it just sucks because like it's the same team that made octopath traveler which i think some people don't like that name and i think it's great eight characters first letters of all their names make the the acronym for octopath it's great I'm a big fan of that name and to follow that up with triangle strategy is like such a bummer. Yeah, it's not it's not the best title, um, but essentially it's a homage spiritual revival of RPG tactics games. So it's like kind of a best of Fire Emblem, Final Fantasy Tactics for sure. That's probably like the most immediate DNA. Like Octopath Traveler was very much trying to capture the spirit of an FF6 or like a FF5 adventure um but it was it was severely lacking in narrative so like that game looked beautiful i still you mentioned this last time we talked about this and i actually really prefer now that i put some serious time into triangle strategy the presentation of octopath is like really breathtaking the mix of fully 3d environments at the water with the 2.5d character sprites it can look kind of like foggy sometimes but the environments were really breathtaking triangle strategy is is unsaturated in a way where sometimes especially when you zoom out I'm like ew like the characters look cool and the animations are great yeah and the art of the characters like the in the menus when you see like the illustrations of the characters those are amazing i love them it feels like it's inspired by game of thrones like the hbo absolutely game of thrones just to be clear i don't mean the books but like it feels like it's inspired by that like color palette and art direction with the world map feels like the intro of the show yeah very much which uh you know for better and for worse, I think in some cases. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't like get in the way, but it's noticeable when you think about what this team has done before. That being said, I think this game is a huge step up from Octopath. Like I really liked Octopath as like a flawed experiment, but I thought what it did well, it did really well. Mm-hmm. This is doing better in multiple ways. So the game is largely battles, exploring an environment, talking to people, getting information, cutscenes, and the scales <laughs> of conviction. 
all of those elements are good. Like I, I would I would recommend the Japanese voice cast and making the tech speed fast because it's it's a lot of cutscenes. And that's my main it's not quite a gripe because like the story is fun. Like it's definitely a little campy, maybe by accident, very melodramatic, yeah. a little tropey, but like it's interesting. It's at its best, it's tackling really heavy ideas. And I think the way the game navigates role playing and choice is actually very well done. The fact that when I choose dialogue options, I don't know like which is the Paragon or Renegade. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even reading the text, I, I can't always tell which is what. So I really am just saying what I think is best in that moment, for better and for worse. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a really brilliant choice. I think, again, not to backseat design, but I think the game would have benefited from maybe combining the exploring choosing dialogue phase with some of the cutscenes because there's just so like that's something we mentioned with the demo that we both played that there's like three hours of cutscenes before the first battle it's maybe wild. not three but there's at least an hour you do a battle in the first two hours yes that is that is a fact and <laughs> I, it feels to me more like anything else it feels to me like an overcorrection from octopath Mm. which felt like it was kind of not devoid of story, but like there wasn't enough, I think, to keep people involved. Like the, the as we've said many, many times since literally our very first episode of this podcast, uh, we, we've been talking about Octopath Traveler and the fact that the combat was so, so stellar and just kind of like a best of every turn-based RPG combat style that you could possibly have. But that could only take you so far. Like yes. that in art direction can't take you to the end of the game because the story just wasn't compelling enough and the characters don't interact with one another. It's like, why am I building a party if they don't hang out, et cetera, et cetera. And this to me feels like an overcorrection where it's like they're giving everybody so much dialogue and giving the story so much emphasis that it's actually taking me away from the other thing that I want to be doing, which is the battling, which is also still great. Yeah, it's really good. It just feels like 66% dialogue, 33% combat instead of more of like a 50-50 or even a reversal of that, which I think would have been maybe the move. It's like if you went to a really fancy restaurant and they gave you eight salads before the entree. It's like, this is <laughs> like, I like salad, but why do I have eight of these? Eight great salads. Eight great to salads. To be clear. Yes. The salads really are good. <laughs> really good. They're all very different. They're very different salads, but they're they're ordered in a way which feels like a progression, which is nice. It's like you're not it's not just like iceberg lettuce with like a dressing (laughs) on it. It's like you're getting like a really interesting, cool salad followed by one that complements that first one and so on, so on, which is impressive to put that many salads in a row, to be clear. But what you're really waiting for is like. The duck. The press yeah. duck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And again, like, I really love story-centric games. Why did I you like, and I both know that the thing that needed to follow eight salads was a duck? We're just, we've been doing this show for a long time. We're on a similar <laughs> wavelength. That's really fucked up. It really is scary. That reminds me once I was with my family and we were, you know, making dinner. And then I just said fennel out loud. And my sister was like, ew, ew, I forgot to get fennel. That was like on my mind. Like I went to the grocery store and forgot to get it. So there's the world is a weird place. To be clear, and you, you, if you listen to the show, you know this. I love narrative-focused games. My interest in games is largely narrative. I like visual novels, but I think when the game is seems to be missing the loop, I feel because of mm. the frequency of cutscenes and because of like every chapter, you see the map, 
and you see the red exclamation point marks like this is a main quest. The green exclamation point is just a cutscene happening somewhere else. Yeah. So like, oh, what does this kingdom think about what just happened? And then there's also character stories, which I do really love where, and this is one of my favorite things about the game, depending on your convictions, which you can't directly see, you can't see like how many points do I have in utility or morality or liberty. Yeah. But depending on your convictions, every few chapters, a couple characters will ask to join your army. So it's very interesting because most of the characters that have asked to join me are like clowns and weird magicians. I'm like, what is my conviction? Uh, but <laughs> You've chosen the weirdo conviction. Yeah, you're fucking weird. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so it just got to the point where like, I want to see like you giving me the option to see these optional cutscenes is so bizarre. Cause I do. I feel like it's all necessary information, but like the fact that I had to manually click, it's it just feels like too much I, I feel like the story could have been told in a more concise way and we could have agency during the cutscenes kind of like Mass Effect like I think that like yeah. that would have really helped the level of involvement because you know we feel like we're not playing for most of this game but when we are it's a joy like the, the battles are so cool the classes are so interesting and the the classes that join based on your convictions it seems to be a core group of like seven or eight characters that are like the core cast. Right. And during the scales of conviction moments where everyone, that's the other part of the game, there will be these really big choices to make in the story and you can't directly choose which choice to make, but the whole cast has to vote on which they want to do. And you'll see like who wants to vote for what, who's undecided. Mm -hmm. And you have to do your best to sway the vote. That's so fucking cool. I love those moments. I love the battles and the scales of conviction so much. I was on the edge of my seat because I, the thing I wanted to do, one by one vote. I, it was like literally Ooh. it came down to Anna. She was the undecided vote. And it's also interesting because the, the choice that I just made is the choice you make in the very first demo. And when I played that demo with no context of the story, I, right. I had a very I chose the opposite thing. Like I was, oh, yeah, that's the easy choice. This time I went the complete other way, which was interesting to be mm, like mm. to in both playthroughs feel very strongly about the other decision. Yeah. And the game makes it pretty clear there are really no good decisions. No matter what you choose, it's like going to bite you in the ass in some way. And I do think it's it's exploring, you know, in a very Game of Thrones way, like what it means to be like a leader and are you defined by the choices you make and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think there is levity added because of the presentation and because of weirdly the melodrama. It's like so melodramatic. It's kind of hard to take too seriously. And I wonder if there's a little bit of a tonal imbalance there because I do think that in some of the grounded moments, it can be very effective. I really like the character Benedict who is um, mm, on the yeah. battlefield. He can buff characters. He also has an ability just called now exclamation point and what that does is it makes an adjacent ally go next so he's like your turn is literally next oh that's great but benedict in the story is like the main advisor he's sort of like the alfred to the protagonist he's like mm. sort of a butler and a retainer right advisor and there's a moment where something really bad happens and the protagonist is like about to sort of speak out of line benedict pulls him back and then later is like if you said that out loud x y and z would have happened and <laughs> he's he's not a 
cold character, but I like the contrast of like sort of the the heroic but kind of hot blooded hero with like the reserved advisor who is trying to teach him how to be a political leader when all he really knows is how to be like an RPG protagonist. (laughs) Uh, So there's like moments of nuance that are also paired with moments of like, you know, and you know, like dying dramatically. And it's like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be feeling, but I'm very intrigued by it. And I think that the role-playing and the battles are great. The core cast, like they all are stuck to their class, which I've seen some divided opinions on. I, I understand wanting the creative freedom to class characters, but I think this game's way of doing that is just by giving you a lot of characters. So the creativity comes with who are you using versus how are you using them? Because mm. they're, they're, of the four characters I got, there's a blacksmith character who can build ladders on the level. So like there are you know vertical places on a map where maybe there's no natural way to get to, but he can put a ladder there to make it easier for someone just to get up high. Yeah. There's another character who is a clown. I think she's an acrobat. That's like the class title and she uses items really well so like her item range is really wide and her items are stronger so she can use like the various gems that do like fire damage or whatever um so she's kind of like a mage but specifically with items so there's like very creative twists like that whereas the core cast are like you know tank mage spy Mm -hmm. but everyone plays so uniquely and they broadcast their role so well this does feel like a really good intro to this type of game because of how streamlined it is and how directly it telegraphs like how things work and and how to play. I think that's why people wanted something like this for so long, right? Yeah. It's like Final Fantasy Tactics and the games like it. Uh, I, I unfortunately can't think of the other ones. I know that there's like a whole lineage. We played one of them for the Game Boy Advance episode that I'm like blanking on right now. Uh, is it Tactics Ogre? Tactics Ogre. That is it. Yeah. yeah. You know, there are, Emblem, there are a lot of yeah. games. Yeah. And Fire Emblem, you know, games like that. But not even Fire Emblem, because like Fire Emblem is getting close, but it's not exactly, you know, the thing that people wanted from Final Fantasy Tactics and sure. things like that. And, and I feel like that's why people have wanted a game to like kind of take up that mantle for a long time, because taking that game design and continuing to progress it along like the timeline of people refining how those things work just feels like it would have eventually ended up with something like this that is like great, you know, and this game, at least from what I've played, which is like four hours, I would say at this point, probably it's getting close. It's like getting close to that. Yeah. And I think the combat is really great. I think the story is really great. I think that imbalance is pretty strong. And like, I think players should know that before they go in. But also, like truly, I think almost none of this matters because there are people out there who just know that they want this. There are people out there who grew up with Final Fantasy Tactics. Like I've been talking to people at work and in the Discord and just all over the place, generally speaking, who are like, I love Final Fantasy Tactics. Is Triangle Strategy good? Is it a good one of those? And like the answer is yes. So you're going to get it whether whether there's a story imbalance or not. Like none of that even matters to people like that, which I I'm kind of stoked for them. You know what I mean? Yes. If this is your thing, you're going to love this. And it also is my thing. And if my main gripe is that I want more of an element, that's a very (laughs) good piece of feedback. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, it would be a very different conversation if the story wasn't engaging. I think it Mm -hmm. is. I think I had like my gripes with it, but like it's fun. It's a it's a it's a fun story. And, and it can just be kind of tonally inconsistent, but I'm really enjoying it. I think it's definitely a contender for me for the end of the year. I mean, it's very early to say that, but like it's definitely scratching that itch. And yeah. if you are a tactics RPG person, 
you will love this for sure. My big thing, honestly, is like I just kind of can't wait to be done with. I mean, I, I I love it, but I can't wait to be done with Elden Ring because I feel like when that's done, I'll be like released yes. from its thrall, <laughs> you know, and then I can like finally give things like Triangle Strategy a real go. Yeah, because um, I got it the day it came out. I imported my save. I turned it on. I literally went through like a 20 minute cutscene and then was like, I guess that's all the game time I have for Triangle Strategy today and then didn't pick it up until later. And even when I went to go turn on the switch, it was right next to my ps5 it was like elden ring yeah literally every other decision you can make in a day feels wrong when Elden Ring is in front of you it's like kind even of, even kind of a problem a- even yeah. Aaron's my game of the year feels incorrect <laughs> uh, but it's a great game I think I think that um, it's definitely succeeding in a way that Octopath did not because I think that Octopath was like going for hey do you like old school RPGs here's this and I feel like the reception of that amongst that audience was very mixed yeah because I think that like it could definitely fulfill a place similar to Bravely Default or FF5 where it's like, okay, this is a gameplay focused RPG experience. Mm-hmm. But the selling point of the game seemed to be character and story, which I like, yep. totally missed. This is delivering on what it's promising. It's just the order is off. But overall, all the elements are really working for me. Yeah, that's a that's triangle strategy. Can I can I pivot a little bit actually to another Please. RPG that I just yeah. I just want to mention real quick? Uh, Absolutely. I, we didn't talk about talking about this, but I've been playing it. Uh, Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster finally oh came God. out, which I have been <laughs> you hyping just up. Casually hit me with that. The thing the thing about the Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster is I've been waiting for it literally since they announced that they were doing these. The thing about it is that I don't think it's great. And mm. that's kind of bumming me out. What's nice is that there are like myriad places to play Final Fantasy VI yeah. that aren't here. The big things about it that are really throwing me off are I think the controls are like awful uh, mm. in this, which is strange because I just assumed they would feel exactly the same as one and four, both pixel remasters that I like really have enjoyed uh, my yeah. time with. Six for some reason feels super off. Like the the on-screen touchscreen analog stick just like isn't working a lot of the time. Weird. Um, and they have this other thing, which is also in the other pixel remasters, which is like a tap to move mode, kind of like Fantasian, where you can like tap on pixels and then your character will walk there. It's like impossible to walk through doors and go like up and down stairs while doing that for some reason. <laughs> so there's really no good control scheme. And then yeah. there's also no controller support on the mobile version. Right. So you're just kind of left with both of these bad control mechanisms, which is like really impeding my enjoyment of the game, which is a bummer because I've played now more more of this than I have played any other version of Final Fantasy VI. I think that it's great and I'm like enjoying what's happening from a like narrative perspective. I really yeah. like the combat. I think it's great. It's just I, I have such a bad time navigating the world that I, I don't want to continue playing this version. I also want to mention the music is incredible. The thing is, really, at the end of the day, I, I, I want to recommend this, but I need it to be on another platform or I need it to have controller support. Like if they yeah. if they bring the Pixel Remasters to Switch, no brainer. You can play the Pixel Remasters right now on PC, but not on Mac. So like for me, the only place I can play it is iOS. And that's kind of a bummer. If if I can use a controller to play this game, this will be the version that I play. But at the moment, I'm like, do I play the PS1 version? Do I play the Game Boy Advance version? Do I play the patched Game Boy Advance version that has Ooh. the full 
score i don't know like there's a lot of different versions out there um yeah and i just feel like if you're a person whose only way of playing this like me really at the moment is ios or android like this is probably not the one like they haven't made i think a compelling enough package to make this the one that you pick up which is a little bit of a bummer that's unfortunate yeah because that seems to be like that should have been the one they kind of built this whole thing around because it's such a it feels like they did this is the this is the one they delayed you know like they they took they took extra time with this one and you can see where that went in like the music is great the visuals are great i actually really like the way the menu system works i think it's like really readable um i'm a person who likes the font like i know a lot of people don't really like the font switch up but like i'm fine with it because it makes the entire ui like uh, more accessible first of all which is important but generally speaking i just think it's readable on a phone at small sizes i think it looks really good so i don't know there's like there's a lot going on here that is working it's just it feels so bad to move around that uh i like i can't i can't keep doing it so fingers crossed for another release i I, whenever you find a version that works for you i'm excited to talk about that game with you the last time i played it was like right after i moved to chicago i didn't know anyone yet so i Mm -hmm. (laughs) hooked up my super nintendo and played like the ff3 copy of it like the u.s released before they made it six and that was a really fun experience so i would love to revisit especially after playing chrono trigger because those two are often lumped together and i'm really curious if i remember correctly i feel like ff6 feels more like a time capsule than chrono trigger does where ff6 is like here's like what rpgs kind of led up to in this exact moment this Mm -hmm. is like sort of Mm -hmm. the apex of the early 90s and chrono trigger is like oops it's a timeless masterpiece goodbye (laughs) Uh, so it's it's, uh it's very fun to compare the two but i mean in terms of just narrative and atmosphere they're on very similar wavelengths which is high praise yes and like i'm getting i'm getting glimpses of that you know um yeah it's just i think the big thing is like it's frustrating to have waited this long for the pixel remaster to come out and then have it like really not even hit the same standard as the other pixel remasters yeah uh, which is a, a little strange uh so i don't know hoping for an update yeah, do you want to take another break and then when we come back we can talk about like more i mean there's so much stuff to talk about this week yeah that sounds good to me let's keep moving all right bye-bye i love you dear listener goodbye <laughs> see ya oh hello welcome back <laughs> oh you're new have you played both of these things that i'm about to talk about or just one of them I have played just one of them. I have played uh, Super Auto Pets, okay. which is one of them. Yes. I've not okay. played the other one yet. All right. I'll talk about the other one first, then we can have like an actual discussion. I'll talk at you about Kirby and the Forgotten Land, <laughs> and then we can Please. talk together about Super Auto Pets. I um, did watch your video. You have a video on our YouTube of you playing the demo of this game, and I yes. watched that. It was lovely. It was a great time. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. I should mention that the impetus for that video was Kirby and the Forgotten Land, big new Switch release coming this month at the end of the month. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, which is pretty wild. And I felt like given the way the marketing has worked so far, you know, with the Nintendo Directs and tweets and stuff like that uh, from Nintendo, I didn't have a full grasp of what this game was going to be. And as a person who likes Kirby a lot, I had some like notions that I wanted to either like dispel or reinforce based on playing the demo. Um, so the the impetus for that video was like, let's all together figure out actually what Kirby in the Forgotten Land is, because there's been kind of this like looming specter as with every first party Nintendo game, like the Breath of the Wild kind of like IP redefining Switch release. And the question was, is Kirby in the Forgotten Land that, you know, is this 
closer to a Breath of the Wild? Is this closer to a Super Mario Odyssey, maybe? Uh, What is this game exactly? And I don't think it's really either of those things, at least based on the demo. It's worth mentioning that like a demo is a demo. It's not the full game. So it's possible that it opens up and gets more interesting, but it's definitely not Breath of the Wild. So like just to dispel that very quickly, because I think there was this kind of a portion of the Internet that I was also a part of for a little bit when they announced this that was like, this looks like an open world Kirby game. How does that work? What is that? That's really bizarre. It's very interesting. And that's not really what's happening. But this is the first time that Kirby is in like a fully 3D space. That yeah. is not Kirby's air ride for the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> this is taking like classic Kirby mechanics and putting them in a full 3D environment. So in that case, you know, is this closer to Super Mario Odyssey with these like kind of larger open areas that are also, you know, platforming spaces with like secrets hidden all over the place, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think it's really that either, at least based on the demo. It seems closer to a Super Mario 3D world or land, which is to say very discrete levels like you load into a level and you make your way through it but there is that element of like kind of nintendo late 90s you know secret gathering and stuff hidden all over the place and like you can try a bunch of different powers you can try a bunch of things in a bunch of different ways which is also inherent to kirby right like all of the kirby games i think specifically the best ones are all about that relationship between the powers you take in and how you use them in the world you know whether that be like i'm going to take this boomerang thing from the beginning of the level all the way to the end because there's a specific thing that I can only get if I have the boomerang power like that kind of stuff is here and that's great that's really cool they've managed to translate that into a 3d space really really well and I think that's kind of the magic of this demo if I if I'm being totally honest like the thing that's really surprising to me I think at the end of the day is even though it's none of the things I really thought it was going to be what it is is an extremely successful reformatting of a thing that we knew into a completely different uh, like visual literally dimension um, yeah. they have taken a thing that is technically always been 2d like even kirby in the crystal shards is like really kind of an on rails side scroller 2.5d kind of thing to take a game like that and translate it into 3d so seamlessly that that's like not even a thing that you really talk about is very impressive and very difficult to do see every sonic game uh that's not a 2d <laughs> one um yeah so i think that that's like already i'm very interested in picking this game up just based on that because it is so fun it is so joyous they like everything about kirby that you know and love is in this so it feels very much like just kind of like experiencing elation like nonstop. and that's great that's really cool and good and i'm excited to see how they kind of open things up as time goes on there's a whole element of the game that's not in the demo which is like the kind of breath of the wild Tarrytown thing where you're yeah. building up this town of like waddle d's and friends who've gotten sucked into an alternate dimension um and you get to like hang out with them and go fishing with them and there's mini games and stuff like that like that whole side of it i think is really compelling and really cool and i'm like really excited to see what that's all about the thing that surprised me most though about the demo and i don't uh, you know elden ring on the mind etc etc but (laughs) it ends with a boss battle that yes it's not hard to be clear. Like, I, first of all, there's two difficulty modes. There's spring breeze mode, uh, which is a fun reference, but it's literally like you just have a ton of health. You're going to be fine, probably. Uh, and then another mode, I forget what it's called. It's like wild something mode that is more difficult. But uh, talking to a friend of the show, Will, uh, and a friend in real life, Will, their take on it was like, 
it's essentially as hard as every other Kirby game, you know, like to go back to like the Game Boy Advance era or like the Super Nintendo era of Kirby. Like that's the difficulty mode that we're talking here. So like neither of them are really super hard, but one of them is like very much made for uh, kind of like ease. Uh, and making your way through if this is like your first ever video game or something. Yeah. But uh, the boss battle that it ends with is really interesting and like not something that I was expecting, really. Um, Kirby games, I think, to me at least, have always had really great boss battles. And this kind of takes that up another notch. It's this huge gorilla who has a bunch of attacks that like really do actually remind me of... I, I don't want to say like a Dark Souls boss, you know, because that's like almost like rote at this point to make that comparison over and over again. But it is a lot about like pattern management and learning and dodging and like jumping and yeah. flying over big area of effect attacks and like looking for weak spots and stuff like that. It's it's really cool. At the end of the day, like Kirby and the Forgotten Land to me just feels like a game that could have come out on like the Nintendo 64. Like it could have been like a classic of its era. Like in, if they didn't go in the Crystal Shards direction, this could have been that. That's a great point. Yeah. And I don't really mind that it's coming out in 2022. Like I don't mind. I, I think I could see people saying like this should have come out a long time ago. Like this doesn't feel new and fresh. This just feels like something that like could have existed for a long time. And I think that that's fine because it's fun. You know? Um, yeah. I, I'm never. I'm never one to be like, it's too late for this if the thing that it is is good, you know? It's also so hard to assess that right away. I mean, like, no one has that kind of knowledge of, like, determining worth immediately. <laughs> I think this could be a really good post-Elden Ring, like, bomb for the soul, honestly. That's why I played the demo, honestly. Yeah. It was like, I, I was beating my head against a boss in Elden Ring. and was like, honestly, let me just take a couple minutes and check out this Kirby demo. And it's like 30 minutes. Yeah, it looks really fun. I'm definitely going to pick it up. I am still... Like, unsh- I feel like I still need a little bit more information because the demo watching that video, my my understanding of the game was like, this feels like it's in a similar realm as like the modern Yoshi games where it's easy breezy for a younger audience platformers, mm-hmm. which is totally needed. Like there, even within Nintendo, there need to be games that are specifically for a very young audience because they think even Mario and Zelda, while they are also for everyone, like they demand understanding of the series in a certain aspect. Yeah, like, yeah. whereas Yoshi is much more inviting and is, you know, and that's like, I guarantee there are six-year-olds that are like speed running Elden Ring probably. But like, you know, it's, <laughs> I think it's important to remember that like not every game that comes out is for you or for us. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't think like Kirby was a, like, I think Yoshi's a little bit more in that direction these days. Kirby's seen more like kind of uh, like somewhere between a modern Yoshi and Mario. So like, this yeah. is definitely something I could enjoy. What's confusing is the like the end of the trailer that shows you like what's next looks a lot <laughs> like scarier and uh, <laughs> more boss centric. Yeah. And I, I don't know like what this game turns into, but what I saw in the video you played, it's not like actually scary, but like King Dedede has red eyes and is in like a Elden Ring castle. Yeah. At one point. So there's like something going on. There. Yeah. I want to mention we, we're not, it's not just because we're playing Elden Ring that we're making a lot For, of these comparisons. No, yes, like the yes. art direction <laughs> looks weirdly similar, like especially in that King Dedede fight that they show off. So just to fill in a blank, when you finish the demo, there's a trailer that's like, here's the rest of the game. Aren't you excited for it? And it shows yeah. off a bunch of the boss battles that are like big castle lightning dark King Dedede with a huge hammer looks like an Elden Ring boss. It's really yeah. bizarre. It's really strange that that's the direction they're going in. And to be clear, Kirby has always had that kind of strange turn towards the end. Like, it does. Yeah. Like Nightmare in Dreamland 2. Sorry, not Nightmare in Dreamland 2. Sorry. Kirby's Dreamland 2 on, on the Game Boy 
uh, oh no, it was just the Game Boy. It wasn't even the color. Like that game ends with a weird spectral, like unknowable entity that looks like uh, like Annihilation or like, <laughs> I don't know. It's very weird and like difficult. And I remember in the 90s beating that and being like, I am the most pro pro gamer of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I think especially the Sakurai led Kirby's, there's always like an undercurrent <laughs> of cosmic horror. Yes. I forgot which character it was. It might have been Sephiroth, but he was going through like the boss mode rush mm-hmm. of Smash Brothers. And he got to the Kirby villain. He was I always wanted to make him like way scarier and like have like <laughs> you know, like human hands or something. Like <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's definitely always hand. been that. It, you know what? It, it reminds me a lot of that level in Mario Odyssey that Liz like a ca- it is a castle with a big dragon. Yes, uh, it's like that energy, but like with Kirby instead of Mario. Yeah. So I'm excited. I, I'm I think I'm like a little bit in need of more info, and mm. like I do kind of want to see reviews. It's like one of those cases, but I, I think it looks really fun. It also looks very purposeful in the design. Like the, the powers have utility outside of just combat. Like yeah. when you get the, the Zelda sword, you can cut grass. Yeah, I think that's a that's a big change that I think is important is like the context for how you use powers in the world to unlock new things in the 2D games was like there would be like a block that has a specific symbol on it that means like use boomerang yeah. here. And in this game, it's like if you have a sword or a boomerang or something, you can cut this rope to drop this thing that then allows you to progress like it's it's more uh, endemic in the world how you're supposed to use your powers to progress and that's that's nice I mean that just feel that feels like one of those things that's like so under the surface that it would like go unmentioned you know but it's like yeah. a huge shift for these games totally because crystal shards for the N64 I loved I loved the ability to combine powers yeah but they all kind of did the same thing Like they all just made the enemies pop and like <laughs> there was really no strategy it was mostly like what is the like animation you want to see mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah, do I you agree. want to see Kirby turn into everything sharp? Do you want them to throw explosive shurikens? <laughs> the world is yours. But yeah. here it's like, okay, if I turn into a traffic cone, there's like marks on the ground that I have to destroy. I imagine the elements will probably have an effect too. Uh, so I'm excited for yeah. more Kirby. Kirby in the Forgotten Land. It comes out at the end of the month. I, I will pick it up. Even if the reviews aren't very good, I'll probably pick it up because I play every Kirby game. And yeah. also Planet Robobot didn't review very well. And that game rules. <laughs> but uh, also alongside of that, it has local co-op. And I really want to do that. Oh, so. that's very fun. That yeah. was my favorite part of uh, All-Star. Yeah. Superstar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kirby co-op is always very fun. Yeah. Um, so that's Kirby in the Forgotten Land. The other game that I want to talk about that I've been like dying to talk about for actually weeks at this point <laughs> is Super Auto Pets, which yeah. is... Uh, a game that is available on like everything that you could possibly play it on uh, which is great well I guess that's not true it's not available on consoles but it's available like in your browser you can get it on Steam on PC Uh, you can get it on your phone on iOS you can get it on your phone on Android there's an iPad app if you have an M1 Mac you can play the iPad version on your Mac there's like myriad ways to play this it is a free game it looks i would argue like a free game but also uh is one of the most like compelling uh games i've played in a long time so this is an auto battler which is like not it's not a new concept uh to have an auto battler there is like a league of legends version of this if you've ever heard of auto chess like that's a thing that's existed for a long time i just think this is the most approachable version of that possible a lot of that has to do with the art style which is literally using like creative Commons zero emojis um, for all of the characters that you're recruiting for your team. But the way it works, if you've never played an auto battler, is essentially the game is broken up into two phases. The first phase is like the shop phase where you're given a set amount of gold and you have to buy units for your team. And these units are like a turtle and a fish and 
a mosquito or you can buy food that you give to your pets which is like an apple or uh honey or honey yeah uh so you buy this stuff you assemble your team and then the second phase is battling where you then take your team into battle they randomly match you up with somebody else who is also playing the game at the same time as you who is also at the same level that you are or is like in the same uh on the same turn is the idea so the game is based in turns right when you're done with those two phases you then progress to turn two when you're done with those two phases you progress to turn three as you continue to progress through those turns you can unlock uh, more powerful pets. The thing that is worth mentioning about this that is kind of uh, inherent to this style of uh, game as well is all of the pets have various abilities and various uh, synergies with one another. All of the food that you buy does like really wild stuff. So for example, the turtle has pretty low attack and health stats, but when it dies, it gives the friend behind it. You line up your friends like in a row. It gives the friend behind it essentially its turtle shell which allows it to just like tank a hit. So any hit that does under 20 damage will be completely negated by the shell one time, um, which allows that friend to attack probably more than once. There's uh, like a cricket, for example, who has pretty low stats, but when it dies, it spawns another cricket. There's a horse that you can get for your team that will buff a summoned character. So like if you have the cricket and it dies and it spawns that second cricket, if you also have the horse on your team, it will buff that new cricket, allowing it to do more damage and have more health, things like that. So the game is really about trying to progress through this like power curve where like in the beginning everyone is given the same like kind of shitty level one pets you just have to like do what you can and like try and make do but as you get further and further in the game it's about like selling those old units and buying new ones that are either you know kind of doing similar things that are more powerful or have like completely different abilities it gets like pretty wild where like there's a kangaroo for example who uh buffs itself every time the unit in front of it attacks so if you can like create a situation where the unit in front of it has like a lot of health or when it dies it spawns a bunch of other units and stuff that means it'll attack a lot and buff that kangaroo um so those synergies are really fun to play with and feel like infinite like it feels i've been playing this game pretty much constantly for like weeks uh, ever since it dropped on ios like two weeks ago and i have never had the same team twice and i feel like almost every time i play if you know, I get lucky enough in terms of what's spawning in the shop. I feel like I have never really uh, angled towards the same synergies more than once. It feels like there's just kind of a near endless way of assembling these teams together. And that's also aided by the fact that you can get these uh, shop items, which are like classic stuff that's just like boost attack and health or like you mentioned the honey which is like when this thing dies it spawns a bee uh, that has like one attack one health or uh, I don't know there's a there's a whole myriad of options there's one that's like literally I think a cyanide capsule that kills whatever pet you give it to which like you would think would be useless but is actually great sometimes for certain situations I kind of don't want to give away because I think for me at least a, a big draw to this game has been learning it um, yeah. has been like kind of beating my head against it and figuring out just through play what are like optimal setups what are you know okay uh, maybe i shouldn't have a horse and a bunch of crickets when i'm in like the <laughs> mid game and I, I guess it's also worth mentioning at the end the goal is to win 10 times so once you do that the round ends and you just have like a team that gets inducted into a personal hall of fame that they make for you which is great but uh if you lose enough times then you get kicked out and you have to start from the top so that is super auto pets i played so much of it uh i've been talking a lot how are you doing steven <laughs> No, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I have not gotten as hooked, but I've really enjoyed it too. And I would say that your playthrough of this 
was so helpful in me understanding what was happening in any way. Because I would say like my big caveat is like the discovery is fun, but the game is hard to parse initially. Yes. There's very light tutorialization. I don't find it very helpful, honestly. I would recommend like either looking up like just a general FAQ or like a guide about it or watching Brendan's video. And also I would recommend early on when you're doing the battles, you can choose to let it play automatically. So everyone will take an action and you'll see what happens. Happens, or you can manually click through each action. Yeah. So it's like my horse attacks, click. The enemy attacks back, click. I recommend doing that initially because it was just madness watching it happen automatically. <laughs> it would just be like, and like all your crickets go away. Like I yeah. don't know why that happened or what I did wrong or what they were doing right. <laughs> so, so seeing like, oh, okay, so the horse buffed this and then this happened. It is really fun. It is fun to see like what synergies work. I think the, an early game synergy that's like kind of most broadcasted is like the horse with the crickets like you yes. mentioned but later i found i had the most triumph with a ox who like i think anytime an enemy died in front of them they would eat a melon that gave yes. them like more and more armor so i had like a bunch of summons in front of an ox and like mm-hmm. this is fun stuff like that and you feel like a genius when it works yes, it's like, that's oh, the thing. yes. yeah it, yes. Co- it constantly you feel like a genius when it happens and then you immediately go into battle and get like absolutely brutalized <laughs> and you're like oh okay i'm an yeah. idiot as it turns out right which is fun or the moments where like you re-roll the shop and you get exactly the one pet that you need to like level everything up or whatever um it, that stuff is so rewarding and then immediately is stripped from you it is i have found it to be difficult to win i have won four times total oh, so wow. far since i've started playing which is like again two weeks and i play like a lot every day um <laughs> So I feel like I'm learning like at this point, I would totally. say I get generally speaking. Um, it's funny because I so as you mentioned, I have this YouTube series that I've been doing on our YouTube. The first episode is specifically like a here's how to play this game if you've never played it yes. before. And then every subsequent video has been me trying to explain all of the moves that I'm making and all of the choices that I'm making as I'm going through it, just so you can like kind of follow my logic and hopefully learn something along the way, um, which I intend to keep going as long as I'm playing this game. I think there's four videos in there now, maybe more by the time this episode comes out but anyway i feel like the episodes that i've recorded have been like extremely bad luck but at the point that i'm at i tend to make it to like seven eight or nine wins pretty frequently like i I figured out the early game i think pretty well at this point the mid game i'm starting to get a handle on and it's the end game that i'm like really really struggling with right now so hopefully i get a handle on that and what's really wonderful about this game is that even if you get to the point where it's like i figured it out like i know the optimal strategies even if they're like patching things which is pretty frequent the team that's working on this it's worth mentioning it's still in beta it's not even like at 1.0 yet yeah. um they're patching it a lot they're updating things they're like uh nerfing things they're buffing things uh, pretty frequently so there are slight changes that are happening all the time which is cool but even if you figure all that out and you're like i have a handle on this I think it's still going to be fun, but there is another thing you can do, which is there's a $5 DLC pack that you can get, which adds a bunch of pets. And then you only play against people who have that DLC pack as well. Oh, that's Um, cool. So it adds a bunch of other units that like have really, really wild abilities. And I'm wondering if over time they'll like start moving some of the ones from the DLC pack into like the standard one. Like I could see it kind of being like a Hearthstone thing in a weird Mm. way where it's like they they release a new pack of units and then eventually start to like say, okay, these ones are viable in like standard play these ones are only in the expansion pack um things like that but i have gotten that dlc because at this point like i i've 
been enjoying playing the standard pack in yeah. these videos and then in my off time like exploring this expansion one and seeing how that goes and i think eventually if i my goal with this series because i'm just calling it super auto pets 101 my goal is to continue it until i win on camera uh nice. and then after that i'll do it again but for the expansion pack is my plan so oh that's cool i'm that's trying to idea. learn how yeah. the expansion pack works right now so i can eventually get to that point but that's uh that's super auto pets i have shown it to a couple people you are the only one who has not messaged me saying like fuck you for showing this to me <laughs> Pretty much everyone who I've shown it to has been like, this is actually becoming a problem for me. I, I need to stop playing it. Um, so I think it's either a matter of time or maybe you're best just staying away from it. But uh, for you, dear listener, I would recommend it. I mean, like I said, it's available pretty much everywhere. You can play it in your browser, which is what I've been doing most of the time. I, I, I would say I'm like 50-50 split between playing it in my browser when I'm sitting at my computer doing other stuff or like watching a YouTube video or something and playing it while I'm like watching TV uh, on my phone. Mm. So uh, it is widely available and extremely good. Yeah, it, it, I mean, this is a compliment. It reminds me of like whatever the Newgrounds game that took off like in science <laughs> class yes. was, you know, yeah. like that would be a very niche reference specifically to our high school. <laughs> but uh, there are so many like free flash games that like someone in class would find it like just play this and not yes. listen to physics, <laughs> which did not help my grade in that class. But it was those fun. are for the kids who uh, I, I, I get that appeal. My thing, because I'm a huge nerd was I would bring a flash drive that had a bunch of emulators and ROMs loaded on it. And then I would like continue playing Pokemon Silver in every class. I would just like <laughs> plug my flash drive into whatever computer like in a if the classroom had a computer, I'd plug it in. I'd just keep playing Pokemon Silver. I remember there was like some some guy in, in our class or maybe a different grade who like got Doom on all the computers. That's like the most classic shit. I feel like yeah. I've, I've obviously I experienced that in our own high school, but I feel like everyone yeah. did that. Like somehow somebody figured out like the way the network worked and just like installed Doom <laughs> on everything. And that that is like the most classic move, apparently. Yeah. It was uh, like the big senior prank, but it was just like, here's Doom for everyone. Here's and Doom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, like, I didn't appreciate Doom at the time, so I didn't really play it a lot. It was nice to have it on every computer, but yeah. I, I didn't appreciate it the way I do now. I think by the time Doom was available for our science class, I actually did need to study. I was like, I should actually, <laughs> I should actually uh, not take my education for granted. Thank you, Doom. Super Auto Pets is available. Uh, also, Doom is available. Uh, you can play both. <laughs> Uh, is this the first time we talked about Doom? No, I brought Doom Eternal up a couple years ago, mm. but maybe Doom proper. This is the first. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, should we take a break and come back and talk about Elden Ring? Yeah, sounds good. I'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Brendan. Steven. We're back and we're going to talk about Elden Ring a little more. Surprise, surprise. So this conversation, for those who are like uh, wondering if this is going to be spoiler centric or not, I would say again, this is kind of what we prefaced last week's episode with. If you are going to play the game, I think to go in blind. Uh, I think that like maybe listen to the first part of last week's episode. We did our best to like be like, wasn't it cool when the thing happened to Mad Lib space? Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say like the, the joy of the game is largely discovery. So if you just want like nothing other than it's a good game, it's a good mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk a little bit more about like just how our experience has been, what we're enjoying, some stuff about the multiplayer because we did a little bit of co-op and also just like maybe some advice for people who are playing it. So it won't be, I don't think it's going to be spoilers in any way, but it's going to be a continued conversation about the game, which like there's like a Venn diagram there just based on how the game is built. Yes. If you want spoilers, 
it's worth mentioning. <gasps> we are going to make the bonus episode for this month, Elden Ring, as well. Yes. Because uh, Steve and I are both, at least at the clip that we're going, I think on track to probably finish it before the month is over. Yeah. Which means it will be able to record a <laughs> bonus episode that's like about everything. So was a little bit iffy about making that the bonus. Um, and we had talked about that a while ago, I think, you know, when we knew that Elden Ring was coming, was like, is this going to be a bonus or not? But I mean, it's such a hard game to put down that I feel like it's almost impossible for me to at least see the end of it uh, or like get to the end of it by the time we would be recording a bonus. So uh, I don't I don't feel like we're like crunching to finish this extremely hard video game, um, which is nice. It's a nice. Yeah, I, I think we're open to the idea of like it will be whatever we've experienced up until then. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident we'll at least see most of it. And just the idea of forcing ourselves to finish anything else right now just feels like an unsequitur. Yeah. So we're like, let's just let's do it. <laughs> the stars are all aligned. We're tarnished ourselves. Let's just do the thing. Yeah. So that's going to be this month's bonus. Very excited about I that. Th- I think like just for uh, context, when we recorded last week, I was at like 30 hours that I had played just about. That was 25 on one character and five on another. And at this point, I am now in the character that I'm playing over 60 hours just on wow. that character. So wow. I'm like pretty deep in it. Uh, and if I continued this pace... I will finish the game. <laughs> At least you will have finished it. I'm a little bit farther behind, but I think I will catch up because I have some time off coming up. So yes, true. Uh, I think I'll be able to catch up. Yeah. Anyway, so where should we begin? Do you want to talk about co-op first? Like, what do you what do you want to start with? What do we even do? I think just generally speaking, um, I, I think it's just worth updating everybody. Maybe in case you were curious, like the game does not ever stop being this good. I, at least where I'm at in the game, again, like 60 hours in, I am. I I have run into a couple walls that I want to talk about, but generally speaking, I'm like in end game areas. I kind of like force myself into them, even though I'm not supposed to be there yet. I'm taking on like pretty late game bosses, even though I'm not supposed to yet and like doing okay and like beating some of them every once in a while. The game is always great and the game is always surprising. Um, The environments that you come across, the enemies that you encounter, the bosses that you fight. I have had holy shit moments over and over and over and over and over again in this game. And even some of the stuff that's like less exciting, like, oh my God, I can't believe I found a new cave in the starting area (laughs) that I somehow missed is like still thrilling. Yeah. You know, especially when you get to run through and like absolutely annihilate all the enemies because you're level 50. But still finding stuff is always rewarding. Um, yes. the, the the big like center of the conversation I wanted to have is one that a lot of people are having on podcasts. So I'm sorry if you're a person who listens to a lot of video game podcasts, but I, I feel like I kind of want your take on this. And I, I'd like to oh, talk about okay. it at least. Yeah. Is this idea of. Elden Ring as an open world game versus other styles of open world games and and the ways in which maybe this game will inspire others or not. What I've found really interesting about this game, the thing that's like really driving me forward um, and is, I think, thrilling. And the reason, you know, people like Jason Schreier tweeted things like you should have a notebook that you're keeping where you're like writing stuff down is I feel like this game is extremely It's extremely authored. Don't get me wrong. It's extremely considered, but it also feels very organic in the way that players are able to make their way through it. For example, there is a location that I don't want to give away. We didn't give it away last week, so I don't want to give it away again. But there's a location where it's kind of like a safe spot in a way and has some NPCs there who are like actually nice and helpful to you. And what I found really interesting is 
in some cases, depending on what you've seen out in the world, you can go talk to those NPCs and they will not like directly give you quests because there's no quest log here, but they'll tell you like, hey, I heard tell that there was something interesting over in this area. It's east of this if you've been there. It's like, oh, I haven't even been there, but I now know that there is a thing in this place. And if I go there and then I go east, I can, you know, go further down this quest line. And it feels so natural. It feels like it feels like I'm discovering a quest, which is very interesting when you compare it to something. I don't want to dunk on it, but something like Horizon or even like an Elder Scrolls or a Skyrim, which has this like huge quest log, which like games like that need, generally speaking, because there's so much content. Yeah, it's like very easy. You could like go halfway down a quest and be like, I don't know if I want to finish this now. Leave, go do something else to come back. I think that this game doles it out in a really interesting way where I feel like I'm discovering stuff at all times, even when the thing that I'm discovering is the next step of a quest. I think that that's really exciting and it feels really rewarding to like write something down and then return to it later and be like, oh, yeah, I haven't pulled on this thread yet and go do that. And then, you know, find myself, you know, 10 hours later finishing that quest line is like really exciting. It, it really feels like an adventure. And I wish there was a better yeah. phrase, but like I think somewhere along the way, a lot of open world games have focused on spectacle in a way that is ironically diminished the feeling of spectacle <laughs> like the idea <laughs> yeah. of like this is the biggest world or like we talk a lot about Ghost of Tsushima both being a great example of like here's the best of every open world game but also the exhaustion of when you find the second area yeah you know without spoiling that game largely is you know on the island of Tsushima and you're in the southern part of it and it feels like that's the whole game and then you get to the next part and it's like three times as big Mm -hmm. and the reason it feels exhausting is because while the narrative is compelling and the game is constantly fun and is beautiful especially on my new tv looks great (laughs) uh it's asking you to do the same things you're not really it doesn't feel like discovery it feels like in order almost yeah, it's like yeah do it again uh whereas this game it's a very delicate balance of like there are weirdly those tentpole like there are forts of enemies that there's always going to be a staircase down that leads to a treasure chest or a boss fight right there are mines that are going to have similar enemies there are abandoned shacks with an npc who gives you like a turtle's claw and a cross <laughs> you like i don't know what to do with this so there's like a purposeful repetition of design so that without calling attention to it you as the player are like okay if i see this icon on the map that's a mine mm-hmm. i kind of know what to expect there's enough wiggle room that like every mine might have like there might not be a boss right uh, but there might be like a special item or something so yes. it's always worth exploring so in those cases and this is what you're saying before about discovery always being fun even when it's a familiar discovery i'm like i know i'm gonna get something cool out of this and i have a grounded expectation of what it could be and then every blue moon you'll open a chest and then be teleported somewhere else <laughs> right. you know which right. has been a common that that seems to be like we say it a lot and another plug to our friends movie podcast but the eye of the duck moment of this game is like when you open a chest and it sends you somewhere yes you know and like and there are enough of them that it seems to happen to every player at least once like pretty early on in your play because as as long as you're exploring enough which like it's pretty hard not to because the the game's bosses like the critical path are are skill checking you enough that it's like i can't do this and then you go explore for a while and see what you can find and inevitably you will find a chest that will teleport you elsewhere so i i I love that that's i love how much that's kind of become like the goof of this game yeah and that's kind of a microcosm i think of the open world design in general where it's it's grounded by both familiarity of the genre if you want to call it that and also past from soft games yeah but then it's like 
discovery is either utility or redefining uh, the highs of fantasy as a genre. <laughs> so it's like, I'm either going to get a new sword or I'm going to see something that's so outside of what I thought was a wide imagination mm-hmm. that's going to inspire me on like a a spiritual level. Yes. Like the amount of friends I've had who have texted me once they've gone underground and seen what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen it. That is a moment that I think is very shocking. And there are a lot of moments like that. And classically from soft stuff, there are boss fights that are so cinematic and cool and tragic. You know, I've, I've now, I'm at a point now where I've, defeated three of the big story bosses yeah two of them are like the major lords out of the five that exist. exactly right there are a bunch of like you know nobody scrub bosses in dungeons <laughs> and caves that i've yeah. defeated but the ones where you get that sick ps5 achievement and <laughs> and you know an item that's like god's left finger uh-huh. i defeated three of them and so far, the bosses are weirdly mirroring the open world design where there are bosses that are like, here is a lesson in combat concretely. Mm-hmm. And it really does seem to be following the Bloodborne design of what we said many times, like Father Gascoigne is there to teach you about visceral attacks in Bloodborne and about being on the offense. Uh, it is not a Dark Souls boss where you're largely on the defense. You're largely rolling and timing your attacks. Bloodborne is about getting and opening yourself and going for it right and there's a boss in this game that largely is like hey what if you had to block and roll and maybe do (laughs) whatever you want and i think what i love about this game too in terms of open world design and this is actually something that is like very subtly breath of the wild is in breath of the wild you can get an enemy's weapon it's like a constant thing they break off and so the game even though that's kind of like a potential gripe with breath of the wild the fact that weapons break off and means that you're always going to be on the move to find new ones yeah you're always going to be like engaging with different styles of combat and whatever in Elden Ring it has that FromSoft thing where it's like god damn it this boss has like you know a mountain as an like a broken edge of a mountain as an axe and this boss can like (laughs) summon you know space and throw it at me what Elden Ring does that I don't think any other FromSoft game has done is that they're like yeah you can eventually get that like (laughs) any and even bosses anything they throw at you you eventually get the ability to arm yourself with that bullshit yeah and that is so exciting and i think it levies some of the orders of skill where it's like you know there there are some bosses that that might feel unattainable and and you can approach it in the classic FromSoft style of like i'm gonna try this again and again until i finally get it or you can be like you know what i'm gonna summon three dogs and my best friend and use my (laughs) weird spell that you know i'm just gonna demolish this boss yeah it's one of the reasons i've been pushing so far towards the end game areas is because i i have reached one of the lords that i have gone up against i don't even know how many times at this point and i always lose over and over and over again and my thought was like well if i push into end game i imagine i won't like i'll probably come across a boss towards there that i will maybe be able to beat and if they drop something that will help me then i can go backwards and yes so i think like breaking the chain in a sense of of the like standard progression which i don't really think there is one in this game but like still uh kind of breaking that cycle and and going back afterwards is like such a rewarding experience every single time um even that even that first boss that you were talking about that like first one that the game 
game is like pointing you towards like exists essentially to say like ah, ah, ah don't do this one yet right um, go explore for a while and that just continues to be the theme of the game that continues to be the trend even as you get further and further and further in um which is very cool there's still i mean again i'm 60 hours in i there's still parts of the map i haven't seen um i i know how to get there and like can't for various reasons but that means probably that i'll be able to get there once i've beaten this lord that i'm stuck on and then get stuck on the next one will be like okay now go explore these areas and then come back to me you know yeah and that's really cool that's very interesting and i want to make it clear i don't want to drop any of the critiques against the total lack of accessibility options and i also don't blame anyone for like finding this to be too much of a wall you know like Mm -hmm. both of those aspects have a lot of conversations that can come from them but i do think just the the game's invitation to use every tool at your disposal and to reward the player in a way that feels so uncharacteristic of any other from soft game yes i think really helps at least my experience with this game because again we talked about this a lot you and i are both big from soft fans i've finished one of these games yeah you know and like not that I have to finish everything I start. I, I don't really play games that way. But I do think that like when a game is designed to be like all about the joy of victory in spite of everything working against you, it is kind of a bummer that even I, someone who's like who who signed up for that experience, eventually is like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Whereas this one, I'm more compelled. And we'll see if that sticks around. Maybe I will have a similar experience, but I, I am more optimistic that I want to see this through all the way. I want to be the Elden Lord, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Have you joined any of the multiplayer groups? Uh, so I played co-op with my friend Eric early on, and then you and I went up against the boss the other night and literally did X slash from Chrono Trigger. I'm going to be very happy. There, there's a there's a mechanic in here that's like actually called multiplayer groups where you can enter in like a password. So there's a password for multiplayer, which is what you and I did to play together. But below that, you can enter five other passwords, which essentially allow you to see the summoning signs and messages and bloodstains from other people who also entered that same password. So like the besties, for example, friends of the show, have their own multiplayer group that's just called besties. And if you put that in, you can see the notes and summoning signs and things like that from other people who listen to the besties which is cool so there's that i i also entered one from vadi video who's like the guy who does all the lore explainers on youtube and stuff he has his own i think it's like seekers or secret seekers or something like that what's very interesting about that that i, I found very surprising um is you get a buff when people who have that same multiplayer group accomplish things so like if they beat a great lord or if they beat an invader or something like that it will buff everyone else who's playing at the same time oh that's so cool i think to get more runes when they beat stuff which is cool right so you get like you get like a currency increase if other people on your in your multiplayer group beat stuff and the other day I think like two days ago I was playing and I was going up against a boss and I got a notification that said somebody in X group has become the Elden Lord and I immediately beat the boss and got just like a shitload of money. And I don't <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if that was because of the buff or like if that boss actually just drops a lot of runes. Maybe both. But yeah, it might be both. And that that was very exciting. But I would recommend doing that. I would recommend searching out. Should we group. make one for, um, for Aether for TWG? There, there is one in the discord. I don't remember what it is at the moment. Um, oh, okay. I, I have it but uh join the discord and then ask about it i'll, I'll have it pinned in that channel or something Sounds after good. this but that having been said there's a bunch of good ones online that i would recommend joining i just joined the ones that seem like the biggest and the ones i seem most interested in so like i'm in the subreddit one which just felt like it would probably be the big
biggest one on the internet and then the besties one and uh the body video one and the discord one all that having been said besides the point i just recommend you do that so you can level up more um yeah that'd be very helpful the thing that i've been considering a lot just to bring it back around is this i think this conversation about like okay this actually does some people are pushing back against making this comparison too much but i think it's so fucking apt that like it's wild not to but like the comparison between this and breath of the wild is so strong to me this really does feel like the first open world game that feels like really 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 inspired by breath of the wild like it feels like they played that game and thought we could do dark souls in this and then like did it and have asked themselves a lot of questions about what that means and have answered those questions in really like nuanced and interesting and like apt ways for this style of game like FromSoft looked at breath of the wild and said okay quest logs how does that work in this game? Oh, the answer is it doesn't. Maybe we just don't have one. We just have NPCs who tell you things and then they lead you on your way, which is almost how I was playing Breath of the Wild at a lot of times anyway. So that to me feels like kind of natural. Like I love that element of discovering Breath of the Wild. I didn't refer to the quest log a whole lot while playing that game because a lot of it was like, go do this big story thing. It's like, I already know to do that because there's a big robotic camel roaming around. <laughs> I know I should probably go deal with that. It's like, that's cool. The map side of things like, okay, how does a map work? Do you climb towers and do that? No, they're like little stones hidden throughout the world that you just like go and check out and then you pick up a map and you learn more about the world and that fills in the blanks in the map like that that feels like a very soulsy kind of way of doing a map and time and time again they answer these questions and I think that that's kind of the most important thing because I think there's a lot of people who will play this and who have played Breath of the Wild who will say like I want more games like that but I think what's most important about the way FromSoft has done it here is they've done it in a FromSoft way they've, yeah, they've totally. looked at Breath of the Wild through the lens of what FromSoft is good at and what they generally seem to do. So like, I can't see, for example, the Elder Scrolls six looking at Breath of the Wild and saying like, okay, cool, let's do that. And just like doing it exactly like that. And I can't see them looking at Elden Ring and saying, okay, let's let's do it like Elden Ring and just doing that exactly. Because there are certain things that you expect out of a Bethesda game, out of an Elder Scrolls game that I feel like would be inherent and you would need to include to make a game like that. But there are elements of both that like would work in the Elder Scrolls six or or Starfield or whatever it is, you know, that they're working on at the time. Like there are elements of these things like this discovery that happens sans quest log, I think is really important or this pulling a lever and ending up in a place that like actually makes your jaw drop that you can't believe is in this game. Stuff like that, I think, can be incorporated into any game. And that's kind of the inspiration that I'm hoping comes at the at the middle of these two games yeah. that a lot of people are talking about. Because the superficial, like you're in the wild and have a hand glider is not the impact that yes. like, matters. It's it's how does this aid the experience that you already kind of had going for you. And this or is like, the thing you and I have talked about so much on this show is like, that's not the inspiration for Breath of the Wild that you should be taking. There are other elements of that game that are really important. And personally, even though we've had this conversation a lot, I've never really been able to put my finger on what exactly it is that you should be taking from Breath of the Wild. And I feel like Elden Ring has really kind of figured it out like they really put the thumbtack on the board and said like this is actually it and the answer is what is the game that you're making good at what is the studio that you are good at and how do, how do you filter out yeah. what works at breath of the wild through that lens and the answer is not put a hang glider in it right it, it goes back to focus and this also goes back to the influence of dark souls where it's like what are you taking from that and yeah. and why because the intention of just jumbling together what's popular will only get you so far versus like true inspiration mm-hmm. i think another interesting comparison to breath of the wild is the way both games interpret 
dungeons because in Breath of the Wild, the all the ruins are just little bite-sized Zelda rooms. And in Elden Ring, they're just chalice dungeons. And yeah. the way that Breath of the Wild interprets like, okay, what are the big temples those are going to be the divine beasts. And then in Elden Ring, the like big sort of Lord's areas feel like a Dark Souls uh, yes. map. Yeah. So you get a strong sense of both series identity in a way that makes sense. And in a way that the open world benefits, it doesn't stretch. It's like to just say I want an open world version of this could potentially be like stretching an image that was like a smaller <laughs> size to begin with. Right. But here it kind of adds breathing room and it also speaks to the original intention of the series. I think a lot of people pointed out that Breath of the Wild weirdly has the most in common in terms of intention with the first Zelda, where the very yeah. first Zelda was like, let's just wander around and find stuff. And of course, it was on the NES. So you can only go so far with that. Yeah. And going back to that with more resources and the direct ability to like author that experience um, mm -hmm. obviously paid off. And Elden Ring, I think, is similar where like there is definitely merit. And I could see like in a couple of years from now, I'm sure that people will have a preference for just like with Zelda. Like I, I know plenty of people who actually still prefer the authored kind of focus of Ocarina or Majora's Mask over Breath of the Wild. Yeah. They're very different experiences. So I, I imagine that with Elden Ring, like there will still be people saying Bloodborne is the best or Dark Souls 3 is the best or Sekiro or whatever, mm -hmm. um, because they're going for different experiences. So yeah, that's that's really it is like not that we can figure this out here, but like I think a, a pretty easy the answer for like how do you handle influence is just intentionality and focus yeah i'm 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 very interested to see the games that like literally cite elden ring as inspiration going forward right like I'll, I'll be interested to see an interview with a developer who says like we looked at breath of the wild we looked at elden ring and we wanted to make a thing like both of those and like okay what are the elements that you've decided are important to take from those there is a, a thing that i've been mulling over like ever since i first got my hands on this game and, and you know the breath of the wild comparisons are immediate the thing that i've been really considering is i i think elden ring is phenomenal don't get me wrong like it, truly it's march 6th it's going to be our game of the year probably I, I would have to guess there is a there's a better version of this. I think that exists. There is there's a version of of what works about Elden Ring and a version of what works about Breath of the Wild and a game that meets both of those in the middle in terms of like difficulty and in terms of approachability and also in terms of accessibility that can exist in this middle ground between those two games. Totally. Yeah, that for me would be like the best game of all time like that. You know, Breath of the Wild, people say. Some people say is the best game of all time. Elden Ring, people are already saying, is also the best game of all time. For me, personally, my favorite game of all time is somewhere in between both of these. And I know that that's very ambiguous, but I feel like a game that has the same level of discovery and holy shit and reward of an Elden Ring with the same approachability and accessibility of Breath of the Wild is like the holy land for me. That, <laughs> that, that game, whatever it is, whenever it comes out, it doesn't need to be fantasy. It doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't have to have bonfires and fog walls and hang gliders and, and giant towers to unlock the map. But like, I think that this new version of open world design that Breath of the Wild kind of kickstarted and Elden Ring is like pushing even further is going to inspire a game that I am going to fall madly in love with even more than both of those games, which I already love. And I'm I am just so excited for that to exist regardless of what it is. I just I just like I, I'm waiting for it. It, yeah. feel, it feels like it feels like the big kind of uh, North Star um, that, I, that I'm hoping people kind of 
march their way towards. I, I agree that, and that's the kind of thing. It's like whenever a game gets to this level of acclaim, the things that are off about it stand out. It's like it's like truly like Icarus. Like the moment you get like that close <laughs> yeah. to the sun, it's like oh, well, this, this, and this, and like. I don't think any game can be perfect, but I definitely think you're right that there's a huge opportunity for a game that's sort of a middle ground between the two. Imagine if you could recommend this to anybody is kind of where I'm getting to, you know, like um, imagine if Elden Ring having this level of hype and this level of acclaim. I mean, I'm sure you've been experiencing the same thing as me is like people who I don't even talk to that often about video games have messaged me because they heard about like my dad heard about Elden Ring was like, I get this. It's like. (laughs) First of all, you don't have this. You don't have any consoles that will allow you to play it and be like, no, <laughs> like you absolutely should not. But imagine a game that uh, that elicited a lot of the same feelings that we're having now and the feelings that we had playing Breath of the Wild that like somebody came up to us and said, hey, should I pick this game up? And you could be like unequivocally. Yes, you yeah. absolutely need to play this game right now. Go get it. It's great. You're going to feel things that you've never felt before playing a video game. That's that's what I that's what I want. And Elden Ring is not that. Yeah, it's 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 very bittersweet because I think that's always like the bummer of these games and not to be like you know say whether or not someone can or can't do it but like again because of the lack of accessibility there are some people that just like won't be able to experience this and that sucks you know because like there is a world and this is not a topic I'm an expert on but like there is a way to have this game be accessible for people to have the same experience of like trial and error and the joy of victory that allows them to play it it's not mm-hmm. about like erasing the difficulty. It's about making it accessible. Yeah. There there have been a lot of conversations about like, you know, adding an easy mode and like that not being like the That's cure-all. not accessibility. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. That's just exactly. So anyway, not not an expert on that topic, but I think that it inherently comes up when these games come out. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say and and one piece of advice, and I'm not an expert at this game. Uh, I am pretty passable at this game, I would say, in the grand scheme of things. I'm an I'm a average tarnished, if you will. Um, <laughs> is this the magic thing? Yes. I yeah, would encourage yeah. no matter what your build is. We talked a bit about this with Chris. Where we were all saying like what our builds were and what our characters were. And I've like stayed clear from magic and pretty much every FromSoft game. I yeah. just Me I don't too. want it to be a thing I worry about. And my character still is Dex focused. I'm a Dex focused character but i was very tempted to check out a couple spells and i kept finding cool swords that were like dex weapons but required like a certain level of intelligence Mm -hmm. so i started putting points in intelligence and i have like a spell that i use and it has made the world of a difference i highly recommend no matter what your build is to invest in either faith or intelligence kind of like strength and dex they are tied to different spells so faith tends to be like curing spells and like defensive spells and some fire spells and intelligence spells are like sorcery so it's like more offensive more kind of cosmic i have a very basic spell i think it requires like 14 intelligence it is the layman's magic yeah i think i think the intelligence spells uh you need a Oh, staff for yes and, and the faith spells you don't that might be it yeah so i, I have it's like incantations versus spells i think is is the thing i have a katana and a shield the katana was the influence for intelligence because it, it is perfect for me but it also needed intelligence i have it uh my offhand weapon i can switch between my shield and my staff 
So the spell, it just casts like a, a glyph in the air and then a blade just shoots at an enemy. Mm-hmm. And it does like a pretty decent amount of damage. And it's just a good way to draw out the crowd. Because like, I, I was using my bow for that, but like now I don't have to worry about arrows. So I can just use that spell. It does more anyway. That's great. And it just opens up a whole world of this game that like it gives you more to work with and more to get excited about. So I would recommend like dip your foot in magic, even if it's like not something you're going to focus on. I'm not going to like go crazy with intelligence. I'm not that's smart i found a, a staff that requires like 60 intelligence and it's like you know piece of the moon i'm like i'm never using this yeah this yeah. is i'm not a nerd okay i'm just kind of <laughs> smart uh, but um i just think the game i think eventually just like through the environment and through the fights you're asked to do it unconsciously encourages you to like mess with magic and i think i think it's worth doing yeah um it really helps ever ever since we talked to chris about it and he talked about his class the astrologer right that's what it was yeah um ever since you talked about the astrologer and like the way the game has kind of shaped itself around him having picked astrologer like there are like new dialogue options and things like that based on his choice there it's it's kind of led me down this thought path that's like is this game actually asking you specifically to use magic more than any other FromSoft game before like i think dark souls won a lot of people went mage and like had a lot of fun with that but yeah this game seems to be engaging with that a lot more than ever before yeah um and i i don't want to say that i've been punished for not going magic at all but thing i've definitely made things harder for myself than they need to be and i feel like this game really is i think subtly and then the further in you get not so subtly saying to you like get some spells invest in this um so i've been i i got the ability to respect recently and i've just been like kind of putting it on the back burner until i figure out intelligence or faith which which of those two i'm going to go into but the game really does seem to be incentivizing the use of magic like yes you can do like a sword and board yes you can do what i've been doing which is like two-handing a sword and like going mostly strength and summons and things like that but even then like summons require that you put a bunch of your ability points into mind so you can uh, level up your your magic pool um, and and have enough to like both summon a thing and use the ash of war you have equipped on your weapon not to get too in the weeds about this stuff but like the, the game just seems to be incentivizing magic use even for the people like me who are playing kind of like a more classic uh, from soft like sword adventure yeah and I would say like don't I, I know a lot of people who started over like they'll start the character and then start over the game first of all there's a character you meet that can respect your entire build right it does require a, a weird item of course but you can do that yeah it's not early <laughs> it's i would say it's probably like half it's where i am in the game where i've met this character so yeah. i'm 40 ish hours in i've so. i've heard some people get there and do all of that within like 10 to 15 like if you're really going for it like if if you start your character and you're like i don't want to start over but i also don't like my build like you could beeline it there and do all of that stuff which mm. is good that's good yeah but it sounds like because you're farther ahead than me and and it sounds like leveling up is not super difficult in the late game that's been kind of the thing is like i i unlock the ability to respect and i've been sitting on i I literally made an excel spreadsheet where i planned out what my respect was going to be and then thought to myself like well what if i just push into the further areas of the game and start defeating enemies that have more runes with runes of the currency more runes that they drop um because you know the further into the world you make it the enemies kind of scale up in difficulty which means that you're rewarded more for beating them so what i found is that i was a i was kind of able to fix my build just by leveling up by exploring more which again is just like another 
brilliant kind of cycle of reward in this game that allows you to do things like that, which no other FromSoft game really has outside yeah. of like literally just grinding. This feels like, oh, I'm exploring and being rewarded for it by fixing my build in the ways that I want. So like now I have some points in faith and can use a spell that makes my sword do more bleed damage than before. And that's sick. Like, that's yeah. great. I'm very I'm, I'm stoked about that. So I would say, like, ev- even if you have I, this is the point you were about to make, I think. But like, even if you started your class and you're like, I don't really feel like this is the move as long as it's not so far off from what where you want to be like you will get there just by leveling up probably yeah respecking is kind of to me at least like a last resort if you want to like totally change your class like if you started as a mage and you want to be like guts from berserk and get the guts sword (laughs) and like two-hand it like you might need to respec if you're an astrologer but even then like it's doable i think yeah if you want to go fully in one direction you know if you want to wield like a Mm -hmm. forgotten statue of a god as your weapon (laughs) or summon the moon then maybe respect but i would wager and this is what i did like early game if you're familiar with this type of game you're probably going to put points in like vigor endurance strength or dex yeah and that's just like generally helpful stuff like Mm -hmm. you don't have to be a strength focused character because pretty much everything requires like at least 12 strength or like yeah you know you need to have like (laughs) i was thinking dnd i think you can't read if you have less than 10 intelligence so like (laughs) there's certain stats where it's like you kind of need like 10 12 15 yeah but then it's okay when you're going 20 in the early game that's like your bread and butter it's also worth mentioning that the way the ashes of war works is that um if you meet a blacksmith (gasps) that lets you change your ash of war so like you could you could sit at any of the i almost said bonfires the grace points you could sit at any of the grace points of grace and change the ash of war which is like the skill that's equipped on that on that weapon um you can change them at will but if you go and ask a blacksmith to do it they can also change the affinity of that weapon which means that like a weapon that you can't wield right now because it requires some faith or something uh if you change the ash of war on that you can make it so maybe it scales with strength instead of faith oh Oh, no way. That's so cool. I know yes. that. So oh, like wow. I, I had a katana that I was using that was uh, specifically a dex uh, scaling weapon. And it was like, I think a, I think it was a D in strength and a B in dex. And I changed it so it doesn't scale with dex at all now. And there's no dex uh, skill requirement. It just is a B on strength, which means there's like a pretty hefty strength requirement to use it now. It's a it's a heavy katana. But because I was investing so much in strength already, I was able to wield it no problem. And now it scales at a B level with my strength and uh, owns. So if there's a letter, that means it scales to that stat. Yes. Like, and, okay, gotcha. I didn't know that. That's going to help me become the Elden Lord. <laughs> that's going to help you play every Souls game. <laughs> Uh, uh, that's uh, Look, that's a cl- that's a classic souls thing and now it's even more impressive how far you've made it in all of the other ones <laughs> <laughs> i always got a feeling like, am i doing something majorly wrong this is especially <laughs> difficult like, yeah I, I forgot to look at the sixth page of the excel spreadsheet also though one of the most annoying things about these games i think is that every single fucking uh screen in a menu looks like an excel sheet you're exactly yeah. right i mean it's so annoying to like sit there and look at the letters and see like okay left hand armament has this number here left hand offhand armament has this what does that mean what is yeah. my what uh is my character right-handed are they left-handed did i 
do that in character creation? I don't know. What's going on here? I have another question sure. for you, the pro Elton Lord. Not true, uh, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> is Arcane just item discovery? I don't know. I've heard that it is or that it helps item discovery, but I feel yeah. like it does other stuff. I'm not really sure because there was always the luck stat in the other stuff. Yeah. It, arcane does feel like the luck stat. I just wonder if it's like one of those from soft stats. Like if your arcane is 60, you like see God's face in the sky or something. Yeah. Like, it's one of those. Let's see. I, I just went on the wiki, and I'm going to find out right now. Okay, cool. Uh, arcane is a main attribute that primarily influences the discovery stat. The more arcane a character has, the higher their discovery rate, increasing the chance to find items when defeating enemies. Uh, raising arcane will also increase your vitality, which in turn lowers your susceptibility to instant death effects. Oh, so it raises health a little bit. Interesting. It doesn't raise health. It specifically raises your, like, immunity to people who like shoot oh have you, like, have you, like, status effects yeah have you gotten like the madness effect where your eyes uh, burst into flames i thankfully have not it is horrible <laughs> it's interesting i imagine there's also probably a weapon out there that scales with arcane like usually in other FromSoft games with the luck stat there's like a stupid weapon that will scale with luck yeah it's like dice yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I did find a whip, which was kind of cool. It wasn't very helpful, but I'm like, this is pretty neat. Man, I really considered using the whip when I found yeah. it. I found one that's like a chain blade. Um, oh, that's like, cool. Like Ivy and Soul yeah, Calibur and was say. like, oh, God, do I really change everything about my build just for this? Um, I didn't. But I'm the thing about this game is like I'm already planning other playthroughs, which is wild. Like I'm already yeah. planning like, OK, new maybe new game plus maybe something else. I've been considering I've talked to you and AJ about this, but I've been considering doing a video series. It's like Waluigi. Luigi as guts literally doing <laughs> like the berserk build uh but as waluigi and like making that a let's play that's available on our youtube um you should. That'd be I, fun. I guess on that note it's probably worth mentioning that you and i have been streaming this game a whole bunch so there's like a lot of a whole lot of it you streamed it for like three and a half hours yesterday i streamed it for four hours a couple days ago like yeah there's a lot of video content uh on our youtube that you can go check out if you want to see more elden ring my stream is largely the academy area whatever that yeah. means to you uh we and <laughs> You and I together beat the boss of that area. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I just it just got to the point where it seemed like you had a handle on the boss, but like just needed that extra little bit of help. And I had yeah, I had done it already, uh, which I think is the best moment. If you ever get to that point and you're like considering summoning, that's always the move is like if you feel like you can almost get over the edge there like you've you understand the patterns you know the different phases you know what the boss is going to throw at you it's just like i always get it to like a third health and then that's it that is the point where like yes you should try summoning people that stream is kind of funny because i was like it was like very early in the morning and the first area i went to was like the one area of the game that i think might be bad where it's like rooftop platforming it's like rooftop platforming with a bunch of valdo enemies that have yeah, like yeah, yeah. eight arms and crossbows and i was like maybe i hate this actually why am i streaming this <laughs> <laughs> but I come around the other end. But that area is rough. And that wasn't even where I was supposed to go. That was just where I found the, the cool staff. Yeah. The critical path was way easier to find. I I do that constantly. Again, I, I get lost very easily in games. And I always get kind of annoyed when I like am going down what I think is the critical path. And then it's actually just like the super secret hidden item. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. But like I really just wanted to progress. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, I, that's, I think, the thing about that academy specifically is like the 
whole I, I I wrote this in chat while you were playing yesterday, but like the whole thing exists as like a big grift because the, the critical path <laughs> to make it to the final boss is accessible from so early on. Once you yeah. get there, it's actually why because I did the I did the exact same thing you did. I spent yeah. like three or four hours exploring everything there except for the path to the boss because I just assumed that I couldn't do it. Yeah, um, right. And, and then eventually it was like, oh, wait, maybe I can make it up this way i don't want to say too much obviously but like maybe yeah. i can make it up this way and of course you can and then that's where the boss is and like they've been there the whole time and i just like kind of dicked around for hours not realizing <laughs> that and that feels like th- that feels like the entirety of that space right i don't want to yeah. say too much about like the enemies that are there and the the way the boss works and stuff but like it's almost on brand for that area to have such an easy solution to finding the boss in a way it feels yeah. intentional to me. It is kind of interesting that in both Breath of the Wild and in Elden Ring, the areas that are like clearly like, here's the Dark Souls temple, here's the Zelda temple, are not the weaker elements, but it's where like the frustrations of the older games come most to the surface. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. like, I think the the exploring the open world and the boss fights and like that discovery, like I love like, I, I think they complement each other well. I think that the way that Elden Ring interprets Dark Souls levels into like lore areas is more successful than like the legendary beasts which i would say are like Mm. probably the one area breath of the wild that's like less than the rest of the game yeah but it is like it's where i sometimes find the wall and then i'm like i'm gonna book it and explore and i think just the ability to do that makes it so bearable totally Oh, it's really good. I'll, I'll say this just as like a lingering thing for the people out there who've played a lot of this game, but I'm in a volcano right now. Oh, which I just want to say for those of you who haven't played the game is not quite just like the fire area that you would expect it to be. It's way more interesting than that. And I'm there right now and it is fascinating. I found it by accident and it has been just thrilling. So how many great lords? It's not a huge spoiler to say that the game is like you got to take out these five great lords. How many mm-hmm. have you taken out? Just the same two you have. Oh, OK, so we're in the same place there technically in the same place yeah yeah so again like so i made it to the third one the third one and the second one are available at the same time oh interesting and if you take out two of them it allows you to get further in one of the end game areas you need to you need to show up with at least two great runes to be allowed access to this place that i started to make my way through which has been very interesting Uh, i have beaten a lot of what they call great enemies like that first one that you fight on the bridge i've beaten a lot of those uh but still only at two of the great lords i love there's a hard drive article that's like how to beat the first boss and wait that was just the guy like like, the realization of like who is a boss or or, uh, i think hard drive has another article that's like late game standard enemy moonlighting as early game boss (laughs) that's that's a tradition at this point yeah it's really good i'm gonna say the most dramatic i felt that difference of like oh wait that wasn't a boss wasn't sekiro like Mm. i have a friend a close friend who's playing sekiro for the first time he's loving it but he's like man that first boss is really tough and i'm like oh man that wasn't a boss i'm sorry (laughs) oh i know who you're talking about i know exactly what you're talking about i had the same feeling because i i also struggled against that great enemy yeah i thought the great enemy really wants that promotion it's like come on like this is essentially (laughs) boss right just give me the the boost yeah give me that wall the fog wall the mist wall dear listener you might be wondering is it going to be possible for us to talk about this game for an entire bonus episode length even though we've now done two episodes about it and the answer is yes there's so much to say that i am withholding i am keeping so much inside right now uh it's incredible the last time a game came out that we talked about multiple times and then did a bonus was three houses actually 
if I remember correctly, because like that came out, we had our initial like, yeah, we love this, and then there was like a spoiler episode, and then we just had to do the yeah. whole thing. Oh well, yeah, we didn't even do that for Hades, right? Hades, I feel like uh, it's it's harder to talk about because it's so like cyclical, and yeah. I mean, I I would love to do a Hades bonus one day. Just oh. saying, I think like a super giant palette could be fun. Mm. I I don't want to shoot it down immediately, but the amount of times that I've tried playing Bastion and Transistor and bounce off of them is like so upsetting to me because I want so dearly to love those games. And I just, I can't bring myself to do it. I do think there's a game you brought up once on the show, uh, which is Pyre, which I feel like is like the forgotten Supergiant game because it was only available on a couple platforms. Yeah, it's like the Life Aquatic of Supergiant, where if you say like, (laughs) my favorite's Pyre, like, oh, that guy's cool. I, I do want to play that. I, I thought that it would get ported to Switch at some point, but uh, it turns out it's just very hard to port that game. Pyre's really good. And I think it's really, as a, as a lifelong fan of Supergiant, seeing Hades like really take the best of all those games and put it yeah. together, it, it, it's really cool to you see. You know what that felt like? I mean, not to go too deep into this, because uh, I feel like we're getting close to wrapping up and we probably should, but Chris's experience hearing about FromSoft for yes. a decade and yes. then getting Elden Ring and being like oh my god this is the one is exactly how i felt about hades at the time because hades yeah. was like i've tried so hard to get into super giant for all of these years and finally not only did they make a roguelike which is probably my favorite genre of video game but i am enjoying it as much as i wanted to enjoy the other ones yeah they refined the combat of bastion they took the interesting combination of powers from transistor and they had the cyclical storytelling and characters of pyre just all at their best it was you love to see it yeah I, of all of them too transistor i think is the one that i also like want to love but really like instead it's the great enemy of uh some giant <laughs> stuff but bastion bastion hit me at a very perfect time to play that game and was also i think like my big introduction into the world of indie games as mm. well um so i have a very special place in my heart for it. and pyre i would say like if you want to check out another one like if you've only played Hades, Pyre, I think narratively is is really on a similar level. Not yeah. quite the same highs of Hades, but like the characters in that game and and the premise of them like all wanting to like escape purgatory through this sports tournament is really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, unfortunately like not available in a lot of places. Um, yeah. It's, it's on PC, Mac, and PS4. Maybe if it's on Mac, I could play it. I'll see if the yeah. if my, uh, my computer can run it. But There's a dog with a mustache, so, you know, what else yeah, do you want? I would love to play Pyre. Anyway, we should wrap up. Yes. <laughs> I do. I, before we even get into, I guess, wrapping up, I should mention uh, a thing that you and I have been talking about a whole lot, um, and maybe you've seen allusions to it, and Stephen has been kind of like loose talking about it a little bit every once in a while at the ends of episodes but we're in the process of redoing the patreon in a pretty big way that includes a lot of stuff that has been happening behind the scenes it's like a lot of work that we've been doing and i i i want to be transparent about it but like we're trying to launch it like towards the end of this month early april is the idea um and it's going to come with a lot of stuff it's worth mentioning if you're a person who backs the show right now like nothing is changing if you are paying like one dollar in that first tier like you're going to get all the same stuff that you're getting we're not like limiting or removing anything uh at all we're just adding more stuff on top so i just wanted to say that before all of that happens but the stuff we're working on is pretty exciting (laughs) i'm i'm really excited for it it's like stuff that people have asked for and stuff that people have not asked for ever um yeah happening all simultaneously which is cool so um do with that information what you will but that having been said the patreon is patreon.com slash into the cast i i also just think it's worth mentioning right now we're planning on doing a one dollar tier which does exactly the same stuff a five dollar tier and then a ten dollar tier both of which get you extra stuff so um just a heads up there 
as well. Uh, so if you're already paying, I think $5, you'll just automatically get access to that stuff when it happens. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, that'll be fun, cool and good. But um, yeah, shout out to the patrons at the moment. Shout out to the people who have asked us to like add more stuff to it. Uh, cause yeah, we're finally doing it. I'm still processing the fact that like we were asked to start a Patreon years ago. <laughs> yeah. The amount of support you've given us is is unbelievable, and I'm really excited to give more back in a way because we we've, we've been really trying to figure out what to do with that space for a very long time, and I think what we've landed on feels really good for us. And again, just to reverberate, like if you're paying a dollar, the the pay what you want model will still exist, and if you pay a dollar, you'll get the patron bonuses, which yeah, the new one that's coming out that I've talked about a lot should be coming out this month, so that will likely come out before the tiers announcement and everything else so like you know you'll get that and then there'll be the big uh unveiling of the new patreon 4.0 i guess this time yeah we're kind of we're kind of building it in a way where i think it will be um extendable as well so what's cool is i i think because you and i have gone back and forth on a lot of stuff about how we've developed the patreon over the years and there have been a couple instances in which like we've done stuff and realized we were overextending ourselves and needed to pare it back and change things um i i think the thing that we're working on right now or the stuff that we're working on right now is like gonna feel very naturally part of our flow because we already i mean i could just bring this up because I, I have it written down but like we made more episodes last year than we or, or sorry last season than we did in the season before that and the season before that and we're on track to do even more than that this year as well so we're already in a place where i feel like we're kind of growing the amount of stuff that we're making yeah um at a pretty natural clip along with investing more time in youtube and stuff like that and twitch and streaming so i, f- I feel like we're growing at a rate just to be clear because i know people are concerned about this like i don't think we're getting even remotely close to, like burning out on doing the content that we're doing no and the stuff that we're adding to our plate is stuff that like i feel really good about adding um and is not going to like it's not going to change how much output we have so just wanted to make that very clear i think we've at this point we have a very natural fit for like monthly bonus for everyone weekly episode like Things yeah. come up, obviously, but like it's weird when we don't have that. Whenever we take a week off, we're like, what do I do? Uh, yeah. Where do I go? Yeah. And then everything else is like what you and I have time for. And between the two of us, we're able to do a lot. And I think we're starting to, especially in the Patreon space and in, in other places outside the show, like have other people involved, too. So I think it's all a good thing. It's all growing in a way. And, and we'll be very honest if we're like, you know what? This isn't working or this feels like too much. Uh, so it's very good. And I feel very grateful that we have that open discourse with all of you that like we can share where we're honestly at. And there's also not an expectation on your end of like more, more, more. Honestly, we probably still do too much anyway. So I I see, (laughs) I see enough positive feedback, but also like, Oh wow. Another episode like in the discord where it's like, yeah, I think we're, I think we're doing all right. So yeah, we really Um, appreciate you. So just a heads up that that's coming uh, yes. soon. So just stay tuned for that. So longest wrap up session ever. But uh, yeah, the Patreon's available at patreon.com slash into the cast. Thank you to everybody who's back in the show. Look out for the new stuff. It'll be fun. Look out for Steven's uh, bonus episode. I have some bonus episodes I've been mulling over doing also. Um, for example, I just saw the Batman the other night and I like really want to get somebody on the mic to talk about that with me just because I've been dying to talk about it ever since yeah. I saw it and I want to see it again. That's the kind of stuff that we'll probably throw on the Patreon feed alongside the kind of more high concept stuff that you're doing. So um 
that's all available there. Uh, as we always say every week, if backing the show in any way negatively uh, impacts you financially, don't back the show. No hard feelings. Totally cool. Totally good. Outside of that, into the Casa Online, we have links to things like Twitch, which we've been streaming a lot. YouTube, I've been making a lot of videos, including the Super Auto Pets explainers, um, things like the Kirby demo. Stuff like that is popping up all the time. I, I feel like we're making a couple things a week at the moment, which is kind of wild. So uh the youtube is available there as well along with twitter and instagram which are two places that you can keep up with us uh twitter is where we announce everything and uh shit post and instagram is where we keep all of the episode art um in a cool grid that you can check out what else oh there's also a link to the discord which is pretty important good community growing a lot shout out to the mods uh that we've added to the list there it's pretty cool yeah what else do we have more stuff within the horizon for you game wise oh and my, life in general oh my god great question great question what's up I, I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, Elden Ring is pretty much my foreseeable future for a while. But um, there's still some stuff coming this year that I'm like really kind of curious about. Rune Factory 5 comes out towards the end of the month that I think could be a big one. Tunic I've been really looking forward oh, to. Yeah, and I too. feel like it's kind of flying under the radar, which almost makes me want to check it out even more. Yeah, because I feel like after not having the experience that I wanted to have with Death's Door that a lot of other people had, I feel like Tunic was like, Tunic was like the one, or I feel like that's going to be the that's one. That's Finji, right? Yeah, it's Finji. Yeah. They're great. So I'm stoked about that. Ghostwire Tokyo comes out this month, which like could be big, maybe not. I'm not really sure. And as I already mentioned, Kirby, but that's like, that's like the close future. Outside of that, there's like a bunch of other stuff that I uh, kind of am mulling over checking out um and catching up on things that i've already missed because there's so much coming out this year yeah i have to once the elden ring like mist passes over me <laughs> i also want to get back to slowly going through the ds stuff obviously and anticipation yeah. of that which like we still have plenty of time but with elden ring out i'm like i gotta make a concentrated effort to not have elden ring just eat up three months yeah um, yeah so not all of that will be on the show but i'm excited to like dig deeper into that console's library and uh for me it's like I, I like the surprise of week by week, but I'm glad that there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. And uh, I'm really excited for Tunic as well. What's on? What is April? I remember there was like a big game in April. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff coming in April. There's Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, which I'm a little bit more iffy about, given some of the reporting that I've seen. But I mean, that that could be a really big game, at least based on some of the expectations for it. The Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers edition comes out. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. In, I think the first week of April, the second week um, for you, unfortunately, not for me, probably, but Advance Wars one plus two reboot camp <laughs> uh, is, is there. 13 Sentinels comes out in April. Oh, no for way. Switch. Which Amazing. I'm very excited about. Uh, yeah. Worth mentioning again, we have a bonus episode about it. If uh, you play that game for the first time, you're dying to talk about it. And uh, April ends with Nintendo Switch Sports. Ooh, wow. That's a good month. That's my birthday month. So I'm like, like what's for me? What's mine? Yeah. What's interesting. So like my birthday's in May. Yeah. And uh, we only have two things on the calendar right now that you and I are looking forward to, which is Two Point Campus and Forspoken, which I'm even like iffy about, uh, which is that like Square Enix thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I feel like there's got to be a lot of events coming is my thought. Um, yeah. there, there are rumors and we'll see, but there are rumors that there's going to be a PlayStation event the day after this episode comes out. So that Thursday, <laughs> it'll be their first big event of the year. So um, we'll see what's going on there because I feel like we don't have like a really full picture of what Sony is doing right now. Um, yeah. and I feel like Xbox is kind of in the same boat as well. So I, th I feel like a lot of these blanks that I'm seeing on our release calendar are things that will be filled in relatively soon if i were to guess i wouldn't mind a bit of like a slower spring though because like 
I know for a fact the summer is pretty busy. So yeah. like, yeah, it will give us a chance to be like, have you played Qbert? Like, I want to get back into that realm a little mm. bit. Get away from these new releases, all these big and <laughs> splashy new games. I'm going to go back to my virtual boy or something. Um, Sure. Yeah. The virtual boy. That, <laughs> that's a good that's, one. that's our season seven premiere. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm just looking at like the list of stuff that's potentially coming to PlayStation, and I feel like the big one is the new God of War. We don't have a date for it. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. We just know it's this year at some point. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised if that was the next big Sony release on the horizon. I still have to play the first one. Uh, I desperately want you to. I know. I know. That's like the thing I get the most shit for in the Discord. I am so. I, I will replay it before the second one comes out. Yeah. Um, my plan was to potentially because they added new game plus to that game like way after it came out uh, so late in fact that i was like i don't even know if i want to revisit this yet but i think i probably will before two comes out i feel like playing that game as new game plus will be sick i mean i i've played the first one like i i've i'm like a few hours in but like i remember <laughs> i think in 2018 in our game of the year episode like i was so early on it was still an honorable mention but i'm like i can't play six of them i only play like two hours but i'm pretty confident it's gonna be high for me that game has some moments in it in terms of like reveals that feel Elden Ring adjacent in terms yeah. of the like, I can't believe that the game did this and is starting to do this. I think you're going to really, really, really like it once you I play think, it. I'm sure I am. Yeah, I think that'll be once we have a release date for two, that might be a fun like lead up to do the first one. The big thing for me, Stephen, and, and the real reason I want you to play it is I think you being a particularly narrative focused person the story in that game is fucking killer yeah it's so good and the payoff like the way it ends is so on point like they stick the landing so hard that i feel like you will and i I think i said this in our 2018 bonus episode i think you'll retroactively kick yourself not having (laughs) played it then um because i think i think you're gonna absolutely lose your mind for the way that story wraps up i'm sure i will I'll probably uh, I'll have to knock off Octopath Traveler on that top ten. Anyway, uh, why don't we wrap up for real? Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Every, every week it's this. <laughs> All right. Hey, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Bye bye. Bye. Garbage. The online.